Hello and welcome to Volume 1, Issue 28 of the Cane and Rinse Podcast. After an eight-year hiatus, Solid Snake returned in polygonal form on Sony's hugely popular PlayStation console to rave reviews and stellar sales. In the second of our six Metal Gear specials, we return to Shadow Moses Island to see whether or not his third mission has aged better than his clothing jeans ultimately did. My name's Leon Cox, and joining me this week, Tony Atkins. Hello. James Carter. Hello. And returning, our Metal Gear expert from Ready Up, it's Paul Rooney. Hello. Welcome back, Paul. Thank you. How have you been? I've been well, thank you very much. How have you been? Yep. Good. Thanks. Very good, thank you. <laughs> it's very abrupt, wasn't it? Yeah. Good. Good. Hi. Yeah, we don't normally do small talk on this show. Let's get on with it. So, Metal Gear Solid then. As we discussed on the previous Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 show, for many, many people, the vast majority of the worldwide audience, other than probably those uh, people who played the the NES, the dodgy NES port of Metal Gear, uh, this was people's first experiences of Solid Snake and uh, probably Kojima games in general. Um, I can't remember which of Police Noughts and Snatcher had come out at this point, maybe both. There's certainly at least one of them's referenced in the game. Um, but again, these were on platforms that we didn't have easy access to. Sometimes they, some of them weren't translated and so on. Uh, the Japanese version came out in September 1998. The US version came out at the end of September 1998. Obviously, the translation had been probably worked on uh, in tandem with the Japanese version in that case. But, of course, back in those days, we had television standards to think about. Japan and US shared NTSC, and uh, we had to wait five months for the PAL conversion. 26th of February 1999. Uh, It was a slightly optimised version in the sense that it wasn't full uh, black borders. I think the screen was extended slightly, so we didn't get quite such a crushed image. However, people uh, may or may not remember if they ever got the chance to compare that the PAL version was significantly slower. Yes. Um, probably the full 16.75% slower that is your bog standard. I'm not sure, but uh, um, I started playing this before the end of 1998 uh, due to uh, an. Uh, I, Basically, the hype was such that I I needed it then. Um, I had a chipped PlayStation. I knew I was going to buy the PAL copy. Don't worry, everybody. I did pay for my copy of Metal Gear, ultimately. Uh, I bought the special edition in February 1999, but I had a hooky pirate copy of the US version. Tut, tut. Yeah. Uh, 
the the PAL special edition I had. Um, I've still got some of the uh, bits that came with it. I don't have the the game disc anymore. I, I only have the game on PSN currently. Uh, it came with uh, a, a set of uh, Metal Gear Solid dog tags, which still sit on my game shelf and have done ever since. Uh, a soundtrack CD, which you will be hearing excerpts from. You may have already heard some, in fact. And uh, a T-shirt, which sadly, which featured the marvelous art from the cover of the game, the uh, the European cover anyway, which which is uh, fantastic. Uh, the American cover was pretty much just white with the logo on. Um, but the T-shirt sadly shrunk, and um, it barely fit me when I was in my twenties. So uh, I, I was going to say, did it shrink or did you get larger? Sir? A bit of bit of both. So it would now, if I still had it. Uh, it would, yeah, it would look like I was wearing a, a, a you know, a, a girly crop top or something, which, which is not a good look for a, a nearly forty-year-old man with middle-aged spread. So, <laughs> but I got to admit, I although I, I had this on hooky import, uh, and I bought it on day one on power, I didn't get round to finishing it until after Metal Gear Solid Two came out in two thousand and two. Why was that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. In some ways, I didn't get on with it. I got to admit. Um, perhaps we'll explore why when we're talking talking about the game. I think it was almost one of those. Now I, I know you ha- you have this sometimes, Paul. Mm-hmm. That sometimes when the hype for a game is so massive, it actually becomes off-putting to playing it at the time that everyone else is playing it. Yeah, absolutely. I get that with everything, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, obviously we didn't have Twitter and stuff then, uh, but just that sense that everyone was playing this game. Mm-hmm. The magazines were going wild, weren't they? I mean, it was on the front cover of pretty much every magazine, every video game magazine. Exactly, for a long and time. yeah, that's right. And they were giving away a lot of the secrets and surprises mm-hmm. and stuff. And it was hard not to read it. And and a lot of that stuff that w- was the stuff that was making me excited. But at the same time, it felt like oversaturation, and I and I needed some distance from it. Um, so I ended up, yeah, I I played through it. I got really excited for Metal Gear Solid 2 so I finally played it I played it through twice just before I played through Metal Gear Solid 2 so that's my history Tony what about you yeah like your good self actually um, I ended up playing the the American NTSC version mm. um, the story behind this was uh, I, I I can't remember if there was a demo disc or something but some, there was definitely the hype machine was huge for this game um, I think he'd been doing the rounds and obviously the press was all over it and telling us how great it was going to be and obviously we were knowing that we were what, what, about a six month wait between the, the US and the European release which now it's, it's hard to remember such horrible situations where you had to wait over six months for a game to, to hit our shores but it was a major problem then so but how I came into to first contact with the game was actually really strange so um, I was around uh, what well, people would know obviously of Alex Shaw of, of old Digital Cowboys and, and uh, Digital Gonzo uh, fame but um, he when we were friends back in 90 it would be 98 um, his father was an airline pilot and he travelled backwards and forwards and he actually picked him up a, cop- a copy of the American version nice. to, uh, and Alex got his, his PlayStation chipped uh, I think for a different game but he brought it back and, and um, I was treated to seeing him play it for the first time around his house now the ironic thing about this actually is that his TV wasn't NTSC compatible, so oh. um, the whole game was in black and white. 
Um, yeah, and, and I another about that, which is ridiculous because I, I remember at the time as well he played for the entirety of uh, Mer- um, Super Mario sixty four in black and white as well. Oh my god, um, which seems ridiculous because limbo limbo meets Mario yeah, sixty four. The colours, but I mean, this is what we do with technology back then. That all these Metal boundaries. Gear Solid actually is not a very colourful game. Yeah. Uh, yes, but um, the, the 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 strange story of this was I, I remember Alex playing it and. He wasn't actually that keen on it. Um, mm. uh, the words that have stuck with me, and as my friend Paul and me, we joke about it all the time, he said, well, it's no siphon filter. <laughs> um, and for people that don't know, siphon filter is a ridiculously over-the-top action game, a lot of shooting, a lot of running around. But it had a following. It certainly it had did, a lot of but, um, sequels. I, I dare anyone to go back to Siphon Filter now and see the charm that that game once had, because it really hasn't held up in, in its PS1 era uh, mm. style. So... But I, those words, I was like, you, you got to be kidding me. This is something incredible. And uh, that that following week, and this was harder to do back then, um, I I went to, to London and had my PlayStation 1 chipped mm-hmm. in, a, in a store that did such things, nefariously around the back corner of an alley, um, <laughs> paid you know, whatever, I think it was like £50 to have my, my console chipped, and then paid... And the reason it, I think it was about eighty pounds for the, yeah. the official copy of the NTSC version of the game. Um, so that would have been somewhere in probably around October of uh, nineteen ninety-eight. A, a lot of money for someone of your age back then. It was, yeah. I, I think I was, well, I was just starting ready to work. So, um, but it it was a big deal, uh, and mm. obviously I felt really dodgy as well going to the back store having something cheap. I, mean, I felt like I was doing megally illegal. <laughs> um, when really, I I don't think I probably was. But um, I mean pretty much legit so I had a legit copy and um, yeah so that's how I ended up playing it sooner but to, to, to address your issue of did it you know the differences between the two it did run a lot slower the the power power conversion um, mm. I, I likened it in the way that if you imagine that um, Snake himself was running all the time that's what it felt like in the NTSC version it felt like there was this extra button that basically meant he ran everywhere and in the power version there was this he could walk everywhere but couldn't actually run mm. so it felt like something was stripped out of uh, of the game and I went back and, and replayed it on the NT- on the power version but uh, I've been playing the PSN uh, network version which uh, I know recently they've started uh, releasing some games like Resident Evil 2 and 3 they've been releasing the NTSC US ROMs onto the UK marketplace or the European marketplace which is fantastic because it means you haven't got the big borders and the slowed down gameplay I think the Metal Gear Solid I've been playing the last few weeks then is probably just the plain PAL one um, but it's now because you know I'm playing it yeah, well, well away from the time it's hard to say it yeah it didn't feel particularly unresponsive and it's not a game that requires it's not really a sort of you know twitch based game or anything so it's it's it, it hasn't been painfully slow i would say um yeah the the psn version i don't know if it's an indicator but it certainly has uh, uk specific um regionalization credits yeah. at the end so it probably yeah, it does, is yeah. the pal yeah. version i would think i don't know whether uh, in terms of uh, the the PS1 emulation it just by by its very nature being on the PS3 does anything like say if say if the game was locked at 30 frames maybe it does something to actually keep it up to that level whereas maybe the PAL version on a PAL PlayStation 1 at the time was running slower or something I don't know uh, technical stuff but um, it's it, to play the to play the PSN version now is a fine way to play it but of course as we will talk about in a minute there are other ways to play through the story of Metal Gear Solid so James what about what? when did you first come into contact with MGS1 um, 
This is the first time I've played through it. I already knew all the story because I'd played the digital graphic novel on PSP when it came oh, out in yeah. 2006. 2005, 2006, somewhere in there, I think. Um, so I played that version then, which was interesting, certainly, and it gets the story across, and it's more interesting than reading the story on uh, Wikipedia or, or watching a walkthrough or something, um, because you do feel like you're involved. But it's very much like... Uh, reading a, a digital graphic novel on a iPhone or an iPad, you're just sort of flipping screen to screen. Um, the only thing is there are some collectibles to hunt for, which keeps you a little bit more engaged with what's going on. Um, but they've got the voice acting in there and uh, a lot of the art's similar, um, sort of grabbed from the cutscenes sort of thing. So um, I, I certainly knew the story before then but um, 1998 was uh, I was completely out of gaming so this completely passed me by it's interesting hearing you guys uh, talk about how much it was uh, sort of everywhere at the time mm. because I was just I mean I think the first I really knew of the Metal Gear Solid series was seeing the cinema trailers for 2 uh, because mm. they were all over the place uh, and it was clearly a big deal then um, yeah. But but Metal Gear Solid at the time in '98 was um, completely off my radar. So um, I came to it much later through picking up a copy of MGS3 and wanting to see the story. So I went back to the digital graphic novel. Right. I'd love the fact that '98 sounds like it's really not that far ago, but we are talking 14 years here. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Just it's for so people hard. like me who go, oh, '90s, yeah, whatever. That's especially that's in really gaming terms. That is a long. Yeah. If you think about. The, the the distance from before that you're going back to you know the same distance again you're going back to the early 80s you're talking about relatively very primitive games so yeah mm -hmm. it's quite quite a distance and and in some ways it it does show certainly in the on the visual side the the PS1 graphics but uh, Paul what about you did you play this at the time I did yeah I remember all the magazines based as we were, as we were saying had it at the front cover you know. Yep. So I can't I can't actually remember specifically when I played it, but I would assume it would be around about launch because I di I didn't buy it I, I rented it. I mentioned mm. this on the last podcast, of course, because um, of the, the uh, codec. Yeah, thing. the codec yeah. number wasn't on the back, but I had rented it. But um, I was still I, could, I remember when I got stuck at that bit. I was going up to the the local supermarket and flicking through the magazines, and they all were featuring Metal Gear Solid, yeah. and one of them had like a, a supplement, like a kind of a walkthrough guide. Yeah. It was PlayStation Power, actually, was the name of the magazine. Yeah, I, used I, to remember, get I remember Power. the little booklet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and CVG. And um, I would go up and try and find that. So it would have been probably, yeah, launch window, I guess, within a, within a month, probably. And you were blissfully unaware of uh, PAL NTSC issues, or you um, just didn't care? Or? I'm trying to recall, actually, because I, had a, I, had a, I didn't have mine chipped. I had something called a smart cartridge. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I had bought Parasite Eve imported that and that was mm. about 60 quid which was a horrendous amount of money from you back then that's why I mentioned it before mm, it was yeah and believe it or not I had siphon filter as well for some reason um, did those type of adapters actually just run things in PAL uh, format anyway um, in the same way as like you could plug a if you if you shave the slots of a Mega Drive, you could run an NTS. You could run a Japanese cartridge in it, but it would run it in PAL format, so it would be automatically bordered and sixteen point seven percent slower or whatever it is. So I don't. Maybe your maybe your card did that, or did it run things full screen and 
full speed. I, I really couldn't. I can't recall at all. I just yeah. wanted to get it played. Didn't care. <laughs> I, I really didn't care. You know, I had it in color, um, but yeah, my, yeah. my TV was capable of <laughs> check you out. Yeah, yeah check yeah. me. Um, no, I remember my friends were moaning because they had the Resident Evil Two demo as well. I remember going round to their houses and mm. stuff and saying, "Listen, I want to borrow this now," and like I could play it in color. So I remember that was an issue that was kicking about. But um, yeah. no, I had no problem once I got that smart cartridge in. Um, mm. But anyway, no, this was a rental copy. This was a PAL copy. Anyway, yeah, sure. So yeah, it was around about. I probably would say within a month of it being released, I had played it, and yeah, basically no looking back after playing that game. Okay, uh, yeah, of course there were. I mean, this is topic for another time, but there were other ways of playing import games, and there were probably more important candidates of. You, there were in, little uh, tricks involving blue tack and pen lids and yeah, various you things. Can turn like it that. Upside down. Button. Yeah, 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 disc swapping. And I tried them all. all I could never get any of them to work. You know, you had to swap it out in different phases and stuff. And when you heard, yeah, as long right. as the distance uh, stopped spinning, you could do one of the tricks. I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, depended on your on the model of PlayStation. Ridiculously dangerous, really, when you think about it. In the end, I just yeah ended up just trading in my Power One for one that played all regions, and I've still got it. The, the only other thing I'll, I'll mention is about the the NTSC situation, which is it doesn't refer to this game. Is just talking about the speed difference. Well, mm. uh, my my playing with Tekken Three. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The difference between the NTSC and the Power One at, at that time was almost worth the the price of entry between those two games. I think I probably didn't buy many more NTSC yeah. stuff, but that was another game I had a, a, yeah. a pirate copy of Tekken Three, a Jap- Japanese copy, and I, again I bought the PAL version as recompense but I didn't play that one I played my copy of the NTSC version mm. I think yeah, like back, back then you kind of needed to have your Playstation chip didn't you I mean, if you if you were serious about your games you yeah. did yeah because the delays were huge most people used it for piracy but and Saturn as well um, mm-hmm. so many of the best Saturn games were only available on import anyway we digress yes, uh, there was also a PC version of Metal Gear Solid I don't think any of us have played it um. no I, I looked into getting it actually um, for this this show I was right. tossing between the, the PC version and the the PSM version is there a mod scene around it can you make it look like a you know a modern game or well obviously it, it had higher res anyway so a, yeah. a lot of purists actually say it's probably the best version to play mm. because it, it already you know it's its resolution is is at the time was set to that, so there's nothing you know, no smoothing that the PS3 does all that stuff. Yeah. But there is some issues around it. It doesn't run on everything now. You know, the modern consoles very modern PCs very well. Yeah. Um, and also there's a major issue. Apparently, even it has the disc swap um, mm-hmm. section, and um, yeah. it all it basically just as it is installs, it, you'll find it's actually on the PS3 version. You still have to swap disc. You have to you know tell yeah. it to to go to the separate disc. But uh, on the PC version, apparently it's really hard, and quite often people got to the end of disc one, insert disc two, and it, apparently there's bugs and stuff that it won't load up disc two. So, uh-huh. by the sounds of it, it probably is the best version for just purist terms of mm-hmm. you know the, how it looks. But um, yeah, there's an amount of hassle that goes with. There it. is a lot of hassle. Yeah, what you I will be- say is, I um I came across a problem with uh, one of the very last cutscenes in in my game. Um, so I went on to a walkthrough and, and had a look at it there, and oh. they were clearly using the the PC version because it looked a lot sharper. But the the real telltale was the um, the subtitles. Um, the subtitles when you're looking at it on PS3 as as the PlayStation version are equally low res as as the as mm-hmm. the game. You know, it yeah. stands out. Whereas the um, the text on screen on the walkthrough videos is pin sharp. I mean it looks ah, okay. absolutely like you would see subtitles on a screen uh, today. Right. So Okay. So it's obviously using 
maybe like the the system font sort of thing rather possibly, than possibly yeah, yeah yeah okay um there was uh, metal gear solid integral which we didn't get over here it was a, a sort of special edition re-release in japan which uh, expanded on the original release with uh, they included both the japanese and the american voice cast i think some extra difficulty settings another disc uh, with more uh, of the VR training missions which was released separately um, in America and over here as uh, VR missions or special missions I bought that and then barely touched it Um, it's kind of a puzzle game really all the VR stuff on on all of the games they're sort of puzzle games um, with only one solution for each uh, sort of scenario which is not not my cup of tea really I don't know why I bought it but it was just again that sort of Metal Gear hype is anyone into the the, the VR missions on, on Metal Gear Solid no no I, I, I actually dislike them <laughs> right I, I've tried to get them into a number instant of times instant fail state hell yeah I, I think it's somewhat of the aesthetic obviously I think it's actually unusual the aesthetic because it's all kind of in a computer digital type yeah. world and um other than you're breaking the fourth wall I just think it probably goes a step too far but uh, I mean there is people doing time runs on, on oh, stuff course. like that um, but it takes away all the story all the characters and all that stuff and turns it into a pure I suppose it shows that the, the, the fundamental core design of the gameplay is robust enough to support that um, and you know we're probably going to go on and talk a lot about the characters and the set pieces and stuff but actually the the fundamental sneaking and punching and shooting does work it functions mm-hmm. but is it fun enough to support a set of missions that stand alone as as where you do just that none of us sound tremendously infused by the idea and um, one thing i would ask is the vr missions um are those supposed to be in terms of the canon paul you might be the best answer this, are those supposed to be the missions they use to run foxhound and genome soldiers through yeah, I'm I think sure that's what it's meant to be. There's reference yeah. to that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, so these it's different are on the battlefield type thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Just as a as an interest, that's sort of why I suppose they're they're in there. Although it may also yeah. be to do with that's how the um, the gameplay was actually designed by the game's designers using mock-ups Part of that. like that. Yeah, so, yeah. That, it's, I'm sure that's true. And yeah, it's 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 fine extra content for people who enjoy that side of the Metal Gear games and, and as Tony says I'm sure there are people out there still trying to perfect their times on various of these it's a missions. bit like um, Resident Evil's Mercenaries mode isn't it to a, to a degree like, yeah that kind of thing yeah yeah, you know, ripped out and then kind of score attack time attack yeah yeah very much so uh, and then of course in 2004 Silicon Knights uh, remade the game for the GameCube that uh, came out under the name The Twin Snakes I bought this on day one and never finished it um, I don't have it anymore. I sold it for more than I bought it for. It's now worth probably 40 to 50 quid on eBay, mostly, um, because it wasn't manufactured in huge numbers. Uh, famously, um, the uh, uh, cutscenes were completely re-choreographed by uh, Ryuhei Kitamura, um, and some people like it and some people don't now I don't believe any of us have played it through for this podcast um, but yeah I have some experience of it um, I would still kind of like to play it through in that version um, anyone got anything interesting or useful to say about the Twin Snakes version? I played it, I played it to through to completion oh so, you did? Um, okay yeah yeah. back in what's I didn't done? know that yeah bear in mind I mean that, that Metal Gear for me or Metal Gear Solid I should say now I've played the, the original Metal Gear mm. um 
it, it was a, a hugely landmark game. It's you know it's one of my all time favorite games. So it, anything really to do with it, I was very much on mm. board. And and the GameCube was a, a fantastic console, <laughs> and yep. starved the content on occasion. So it's something that I definitely was interested in. Um, I, it's hard without actually speaking about the main game as we've done so far, but there there was a number of additions. Obviously, the obvious one was the cutscenes, um, mm. which I think is a somewhat of a love hate relationship for a lot yeah. of people. Um, mm. uh, there's one in, for instance, uh, say so there's a, a sniper wolf battle um, where it's pretty basic. Although the, the cutscene at the end of the sniper wolf battle is brilliant, but um, there's there's this thing where he jumps up and he kicks the gun, it floats up in the air and he grabs <laughs> it and he shoots and they both shoot at the same time. It, I don't know. <laughs> It it kind of breaks the, I don't know the immersion maybe a little bit. I know Paul that you've said that there's some ridiculous cutscenes in there as well. Yeah, there's one with the somersaults and the missile. Remember that one? Oh god, <laughs> I've looked them up. There, it was in, it was this kind of post Matrix thing yeah. that we're going after. Like I, the the director was one of Kojima's kind of idols. I think he was a friend of his or something. That's right. It was all this yeah. kind of cheesy wire foo influence stuff and. I just don't think it, it fits, you know. Mm. Metal Gear manages to create this weird world, you know, where the absurd meets the real, and it, it merges, but I think that kind of makes it just a bit jarring and, and kind of cheesy, and it just doesn't feel in keeping with the world for me. But there was some pretty major gameplay differences, actually, if, if, mm. if you compare the two. The, 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 apparently the story goes that Miyamoto and Kojima met over lunch, and obviously Miyamoto wanted a Metal Gear game because it had been so popular for, for the PlayStation brand mm. uh, wanted on that and he and he didn't want you know Kojima was refusing that although they were good buddies so they decided to obviously do this remake um, which you know on the, on the face of it seemed like a good idea they changed a number of things um, you could now shoot in first person which you couldn't do in the original game yeah, it was based on the Metal Gear Solid 2 engine Two, which yeah. was already a few years old at this point um, which actually does change the gameplay up quite a bit because if mm. you, you know the amount of times you'd come into a, a room and you can't see other than maybe the cone on the radar, mm. um, so the fact you could actually shoot people from a distance and actually not have to interact with them and, and closely pass them made a, a, a bigger issue. They, they added the, a non-lethal way to kill people, so there was a trank gun, which become has come really famous within the series, isn't it? A lot of people like to just basically go for the entire game without killing people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no kills, no spots. Yeah, yeah. So they added that. Um, they they added to things like hiding lockers, um, which isn't in the original. Um, no. You can jump over balconies, but also um, the guards are a lot more alert. So uh, mm. if you killed a guard, for instance, and you're on the ground, um, I don't really believe that really causes much attention in, in the PlayStation version. But in Twin Snakes, if they see it, they go into a mega alert stage. Mm. Um, so you have to pick up the bodies and put them in lockers or hide them. Um, can you hang off uh, ledges? You can, yeah. Right. You, you can jump them and hang them and then come up behind. And Sounds and almost more like um, Splinter Cell, which may well be what um, Metal Gear Solid 2 introduced, but um, mm. sounds very reminiscent of Splinter Cell because obviously in the PlayStation version the bodies don't hang around long enough to be discovered by anyone. No. Um, they they spend about two seconds on the ground and then they pop into either an item or just disappear. But um, um, all of this really combined for making the game a lot harder um, because harder. Was, I yeah. heard it was unbalanced in the other direction. Well, if you knew if you got used to it anyway. Whatever that's if you got used to it. But um, the, the fact that body you know the, the, apparently the AI was. 
tougher so they they did see you a lot easier um mm. and um the fact that you had to hide bodies if you created bodies um there was a lot more alerts phases going in but then again you had the the new abilities to actually out outwit them uh, into a, a bit of degree but i think it's it's one of those ones somewhat of a love hate between uh fans of the series some people really yeah. like it and some people say it's the best version to mm. actually sit down and play because you know obviously it, it looks better holds up um, a bit better yeah, and, and take some of the the concepts that has been carried on for the series. I don't know. I mean, I playing back through the the, the original version now. I'm, I'm really glad I st- I stuck with the ver- first version and actually see where it, it, its true roots began. I think it's a, it's a difficult choice in some ways now because to get hold of this, you know, even if you have got a GameCube and or a Wii sitting about, you're going to have to spend at least forty pounds to get hold of it. Whereas you can get the PSN version of the of the original very simply for a you know fiver or something. And also, um, and also bearing in mind uh, that the remake is nine years old now. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> in the in the remake, can you remember if they, they had the radio on them? The bad guys had the radio on them, and if they saw you, they would call for backup. So because mm-hmm. yeah. that that would yeah. make it more difficult. Because I remember that the, the change in two, whereby say there was four enemies in a room, you'd taken out three, and on the fourth one, you'd been caught. They would then radio in for help, and you would have to go hide or something, and then it would refill. The, you know how you'd taken th- down three and hidden them. Yeah, I think they did have their radios on in the same way. Yeah, I think it would refill on. the room with four more guards, so you would have to do it all again without being seen. Yeah. So, and, and whereas in the PS One version, you can just kill them and they won't come back. I guess the easiest way, if people you know have gone back and listened to the, the Metal Gear podcast we did, it, it feels a bit like the transition between Metal Gear and Metal Gear Two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get seen in Metal Gear Two; it's a lot bigger um, issue, and you have to hide. And um, Metal Gear One, there's there's a lot more kind of room for kind of just moving in and, and you know, kind of going to the next screen, hiding, and getting out of the way. So, other changes in, included uh, changes of accent for some of the supporting cast. The 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 voice the voices for all the codecs were completely redone, yeah. mostly by the same cast, but for uh, the DARPA chief. Um, who had been voiced by Greg Eagles, who voiced uh, Grey Fox. He'd also done the DARPA chief in the original game, but they, they employed Rob Paulson, who's a very famous and well-known voice artist, to play him in the in the Twin Snakes version. I think he's the Rob Paulson. I think does Pinky out of Pinky in the Brain, amongst many, many, many others. Um, and Mei Ling, your Chinese uh, support staff, uh had her accent ch- uh, changed to, pos- to English or American, and uh, Na- and Naomi and Nastasha as well, who are English and Russian accented in the first game, were all uh, changed to I guess English American sounding. I'm not sure whether that was done for PC reasons or commercial reasons. Well, that's interesting actually, because I was going to point out the only part of uh, Twin Snakes I've seen is the opening cutscene. Just kind of wanted to see how different they made it, and they yeah. sort of added a lot of sort of moving around the submarine and that sort of thing, a lot of sort of build up to it. Um, mm. Nothing ridiculous, but the one thing I did notice was um, a very familiar name popped up as the voice actress for uh, Naomi Hunter, um, which is Jennifer Hale. All right. Oh right. Okay. And so I thought, oh, that's not the name that popped up previously because the name. Mm. In oh, the okay. So version, some of them were recast, yeah. Uh, well, no, it's not a recasting actually. Which is oh, of course, thing. it's the it's Karen the uh, learning is the yes. pseudonym of Jennifer. That's Hale. right. Yes, but famously, uh, all but one of them used pseudonyms in the first game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so possibly odd. for uh, I think there's, I think it was rumored that it was because 
uh, at the time people were saying, oh, because they didn't want to be associated with an embarrassing silly video game. But I think it mm. turns out it was actually more to do with not having the equivalent of equity on board or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, mm. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's why all these names come up. Um, David Hayter's called something else. And, yeah, everyone's called something else except yeah. one of the cast who, I can't remember which one, but he's got his own name. There's also a breaking of the fourth war. Even a little bit more, you can find Mario figures and Louis, um, yep. and Yoshi figures. You, the, there's posters in lockers. Eternal uh, Darkness poster. Yeah. Uh, there's GameCube somewhere. Yeah, yes. Uh, uh, Kane and Rince superfan uh, Dastardly Jabby has been um, tweeting pictures of his uh, adventures through uh, the Twin Snakes version um, and all the little secrets he's found. Stuff which is excellent. I wanted to click on him on Twitter. Who, what was his name? Dastardly. Dastardly Jabby, yes. Right, okay, I'm going to look them up. Yeah, he he pointed out that he picked up the trank gun and I thought I'd missed a trick, but obviously it, it wasn't <laughs> there. That's right, that's right. So uh, we'll be mainly talking about the uh, PS1 version today and let's get into it then. So uh, there's that famous opening sequence, uh, the, uh, the submarine, you get injected um, and then you swim away from it um, this is all seen in the attract mode uh, where the plot is explained to you that once again you're being sent in on a solo mission to stop some terrorists only this time uh, it's your former foxhound chums uh, and yeah you end up you come out of the water and there's even sort of interesting secrets in the very first room because there's like rations hidden under the water and stuff like that and you can walk around in the water and then the very first uh, room there's new things to learn things that weren't in the the, the uh, MSX versions such as being able to tread water from a puddle behind you leaving footprints and stuff like that so I remember that opening screen being just captivating in itself from the from the little uh, from the, the female voice uh, which is a sort of snatch from the end song um, at the very start when you pop your head out of the water through to the bit where you finally get in the lift and, and the, the credits are playing in the bottom very televisual sort of cinematic style the credits are rolling while you play this sort of almost prologue to the game and yeah just uh, really exciting and you felt just immersed straight away yeah it feels very much like a, and it's a, a series of films that this uh, this series of games apes quite a bit it feels like a Bond intro Almost. Mm. This is this is the the prelude before you get the late title screen yeah. come up and and you're getting the the um, credits coming up all throughout and the hint of the the um, theme tune being played. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm already excited about two months time because we'll get to have the Snake Eater song um, at yeah. the start of the podcast, which is obviously the the most ridiculous uh, Bondian moment in in the in the whole series that I'm aware of. But um, yeah very very cool uh i i also i still remember just the bit where he's putting his you don't even get to see snake at first because he's wearing his mask and he as as he goes up the elevator he's taking off his clobber and it's leaving a, an expanding wet puddle and these are the things which now you know technically not that exciting but at the time it's the kind of thing you hadn't seen before and the it's it's really there's a lot of things about this game as we said on the previous show that in some ways, this game is very much a remake. It expands and takes the narrative further, and it's more ambitious in that sense. But the actual fundamental way the game plays out is very similar to the Metal Gear uh, MSX games, isn't it? I think there's two points you have to make here as well. Is 
One, I don't think any of us knew this back in in '98. I mean, hindsight, yes, we've just played the game, so we understand where this comes yeah. from. So certainly, as my 18-year-old self, um, you know, seeing this import copy for the first time using the black and white TV, I was like, "What the hell? What is this? This is something I've not seen gaming achieve." It was one of those real, real moments, and. I think it happens every single generation, and probably it for every console. They have that gaming equivalent of, wow, okay, something's actually changed in in this industry, and you know that was the opening scene of, of Metal Gear for me. It was just there's this story playing over it. It's like a film. It's an interactive film, and I don't think I've really experienced something like that. I mean, this you're talking 1998 here, so the context of that it it, it blew me away. Um, although strangely, going back to it now. Um, I, I, had, I think I probably had the same experience I had back in 1998 here, which was I crouched, I I kind of went forward a bit, I went round in circles, I, I was trying to find the controls again. It was probably the most ungraceful. Uh, the controls to this. do leave a little bit to be desired. I th- I have to mm. say, I think especially especially now. But even then, I I think that was one of my problems. One of the reasons I didn't complete the game was to do with some of the handling of Snake, the the bit that when you crouch and then push to crawl he suddenly he becomes sort of twice the size as he lays down and you can you can have ridiculous situations where like you it, again it, as it as it works in the in the previous game you lie down to collect mines okay fair enough you've got a mine detector although there's a couple of screens where you can't use your mine detector and there are mines you have to use your thermal imaging uh, but you don't know that until you get blown up but you will um as you go to crawl your legs will spread out behind you and that will trigger something you know that will hit a laser beam or something like that it's it, it does all feel a little clumsy the running and shooting uh where you have to hold first one button down then another then release the first one is just <laughs> really really but, bad and 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 to defend alex actually here for a second you know if you compare this to something like siphon filter where it was all about this you know, huge amount of movement um you know you running and gunning and jumping and diving and shooting people it was you know if you can compare the games at the time it was quite alien the way how how slowly um he walked and you can you know you'd crouch and you'd spin around in circles so i understand <laughs> from that point but um after a while you know and getting through that lift that opening section I, I think that is basically a training ground you can get seen um and you, you'll quickly work out that if you, you're seen you will die um and it's very hard to escape um certainly on your first playthrough um i remember just playing in that room just using it as a yeah. as an you know because you you, you, learn, you know, we now know that you could knock on the walls in mm-hmm. previous games but again this was a feature that we hadn't really seen before no. you can you know vision cones and, and so the vision cones were new to this one well this was new to us yeah yeah um and you could knock on the wall and trap them and then you could do things like walk through the puddle deliberately and lead them round the corner and then punch them as they emerge and stuff like this this walking on grates with their cause of noise yeah, and yeah. all this stuff was new to us and it, it's strange seeing it in, in the MSX games how much of this stuff was actually just a, a remake of um, a game that was eight years previous mm. but back then um, you know to our to us westerners that this was something actually you know shockingly new um, you know little did we know <laughs> it came from eight years previous so um, but th- yeah once you're into that lift and you've, and you've accustomed yourself to the controls and you, you work your way to the snowy area I, I, I pretty much was, was in love <laughs> mm. to be honest yeah. how about you Paul I mean I, what I want to know actually Paul is, is where we sit within the story here because um, it, it, as we've discussed on the previous show it, it's, it's not in a chronological order at all this one is no. the direct sequel to 2 though isn't it yeah this is um this is Solid Snake. Uh, he had been he had retired after both of the the MSX games, and this was the third time 
he was brought out of retirement. <laughs> he was kidnapped, essentially. Yeah. Um, he was living in... He was actually living in a place called Twin Lakes. Did you know that? In Alaska, yeah. In Alaska, yeah. yeah Twin and that Lakes. was the reference to Twin Snakes. Anyway, um, and he was brought out of retirement. Hold on, I'm trying to think of a proper way. Because there's, so there's so many things going on. Um, there's a, a revolt against the government formed by Liquid Snake and soldiers, another the next generation soldiers uh, called the Sons of Big Boss. They are leading a revolt against the United States by capturing uh, Shadow Moses Island, a nuclear plant on Shadow Moses Island, um, which is in Alaska. And I think it's, it's they're, they're trying to basically launch a missile or, or threaten to launch a missile before the, the Start 3 thing is signed. Yeah. Start 3 is like a treaty or something. I don't actually know what it's it is. It's a treaty to reduce the nuclear armaments between uh, Russia and the, and the United States, essentially. Right. right. Yeah. And uh, Liquid Snake, uh, uh, Solid Snake's brother, has seen this as an opportunity, basically, to hold the hold United States to ransom. And uh, Solid Snake's been kidnapped, been brought out of retirement, to save the day, basically, to go, to go back and do exactly what he had done yeah, twice do previously, done to go on a, yeah. a one-man sneaking mission. In his sneaking suit. So uh, you're, you're inserted, um, it's uh, on-site weapons and procurement, uh, oh, yeah, whatever it is, OSP, OSP yeah. that's right, uh, to, to excuse the fact that you're sent in with nothing but the pack of fags that you've stuffed up your ass. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, so you're going looking for uh, Anderson of uh, DARPA and Baker of Arms Tech um, to get the uh, codes off them to disable the potential nuclear launch. Um, your first now this is uh, the first game where the menagerie of um, bosses is kind of really front and centre whereas in the previous games you would stumble across them and it would say aha I am evil red man or whatever they were called um, <laughs> and I'm going to fight you this this time um, Colonel Campbell famously lists them in the opening sprawl in the in the, uh, in the in the attract mode and I remember you know at the time uh, watching and listening to those and just you know giggling to you know decoy octopus what the fuck um, li- <laughs> liquid snake is bad enough um, revolver ocelot uh, absolutely the, when you think about them like we've kind of got used to them but these are pieces of pretty way out there code names um, and you you first come into contact with uh, revolver ocelot fairly early on um, in uh, a room with uh, Baker. Oh, this is after Anderson's already mysteriously uh, died as you were talking to him from a heart attack. Or is it Anderson? It's not Anderson. It's not. But you think it is. <laughs> no. uh, so uh, then then you have uh, your first boss fight with Ocelot, uh, which is again a rather, uh, again by today's standards, perhaps a little comical. You're running around a square room. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a little, uh, is it Benny Hill? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so he's got a very powerful six-shooter, his favourite kind of handgun, the best gun ever made and, and whatever, um, and you're sort of running around slightly ahead of him or slightly behind him. Um, because of the camera, although although this game is polygonal, as we say, this is before the obviously um, first-person aiming was actually incorporated, even though you could look in the first-person. Um, and so a lot of, this, a lot of these fights uh, take place where you can't see 
the enemy you're facing. Bit of a problem, maybe? Well, and, and this is, once again, the issue where Twin Snakes fix that fight in particular. Because the fight you're talking about, there's there's a room. You, you who's, who's strapped to the, it's the dynamite? It's arms tech, uh, Kenneth Baker, um, isn't it? Yeah, Kenneth, Kenneth Baker, Baker's yeah. Is strapped to the dynamite, and you need to make sure you don't hit the dynamite at the same time. Of course, C4 everywhere, yeah. Yeah, Revolver Ocelot. Um, Ocelot is bouncing bullets itself the wall. Yeah, and he, yeah. And he hides behind <laughs> pillars. And because of the limited view on the screen, it's really actually quite hard to shoot him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in Twin Snakes, with, with the, the ability to go into first-person mode, it's ridiculously easy to shoot right. him. In fact, you can just pretty much stand in one place and aim between uh, the governor. I think, I think the key would be was in, in beating that boss was to look at a snake auto-aim. You know, once you, you pull mm-hmm. up your, your gun to aim, he will move slightly to the left or the right, yeah. and at that point you know he's tracking yeah. uh, the off-screen character so that's that's the point you shoot. I, I found that I found it actually a really difficult boss I remember it, because mm. uh, you know 14 some years ago that's the last time I played this game mm. um, until recently obviously um, it was quite fuzzy, but I do recall this because I remember having a, lot of, uh, having a lot of difficulty with it, mm-hmm. but um, this time round I had the same amount of difficulty I, think. Oh. I found like it was it was really quite awkward, but uh, two or three tries, basically, and it was, yeah. it was done. He handily uh, explains to you when he's about to reload. That's what, uh, another concession that the developers made to your lack of visibility is that um, you actually get a gauge on the screen, which is uh, Ocelot's um, bullet chambers, and then and you can see when he's out, and and he and he'll actually say in voice, um, "Damn it, I'm going to have to reload now." <laughs> <So> <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, again, so yeah, in some ways, pretty cheesy and comical, but um... it's the um, it's the second time in the game because obviously you, you're ambushed just after you come out from um, uh, the arms tech. Uh, oh, of course, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're after ambushed there, Meryl lets so you it's out the second yourself. time in the game where they're aiming really. Once you've got used to having two sticks and being able to aim even in third person or even even from an isometric point of view mm. uh, or polygonal point of view um, ha- having that sort of free ability to aim accurately is something that I really missed I've got to say and um, uh, this is also uh, it's also altered by the fact that um, different although it's not quite Resident Evil different screens have different perspectives slightly sometimes it's very top yeah. down and very far away sometimes it's slightly isometric and closer in so it can be a little sometimes disorienting yeah sometimes it's actually almost completely side on as well actually. Mm. Um, specifically the, the fight at the end you start off and it's a side view yeah um, so yeah yeah, it's um, it's quite strange and what you end up doing is almost playing it like a twin stick shooter in that you start shooting your gun and then you use the the D-pad to try and adjust your aiming, mm. um, depending upon where you're shooting. So you're almost follow, following the bullet trails, trying to track them towards your target, which is a obviously a strange way of doing it. But once you get used to it, it's it's okay. You sort of learn to cope with it. Another thing worth mentioning about this game is is to do with the time that that it came out. Was um, this was the the early era of the Dual Shock, so. A lot of PlayStation owners still only had the standard PlayStation controller, which had no analog sticks on whatsoever, mm-hmm. um, no rumble. Um, in '97, I think it was the first analog stick for PS1 came out with the twin analogs, and then in '98, the DualShock came out. And obviously, this game does use the DualShock uh, in various ways, famously. famously. <laughs> um, but a lot, of, a lot of people actually wouldn't have had a DualShock to because you had to go and buy one separately you know at this point and they you know they cost about what they do now uh, about 25 to 30 quid um i don't actually know 
if the game picked up on the controller you had so does it do the vibration it bits it does yeah even even when you've got the wrong controller in does it uh, I, I think he says something about that the, 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 he does know whether it's got vibration or not whether yeah. he actually says something on screen right uh, or whether he just completely bias bypass and there's, there's the there bit where you, where you have your arm healed later as well isn't there um, yeah <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yes it's, it's worth saying that on the on the on the PS3, if that's how you're playing it, you need to actually go into the um, the, the menu via the PlayStation button and uh, switch it on. Switch your really on. confused me Which when I first obvious, played it. Yeah, yeah, there, there wasn't obviously there's no documentation really to, to seven talk about page digital manual it. with no detail. Um, yeah, yeah I, I I started and I was like, I can't play this with the analog sticks. I I don't remember. And I was playing with the D, the D pad controls and oh my god, it it played really really. It's actually easier for the ropey. sniping sections using the D pad though. Oh, I didn't try that, but yeah. Um, yeah, you you have to go into the. You, you can still use a D pad even if you turn the analog sticks on. Yeah, yeah, so you just t- you turn that on, um, but uh, yeah, it's a, and it's annoying actually. It doesn't remember that setting, no, it so doesn't. when you come back yeah. to menu, you have to go back in there and go back. In. I yeah. just used the D pad all the way through. I just got really? used to figuring that was old the, school. The old school. yeah. Exactly. Well, that's the that's same way as we played the MSX games. Yeah. yeah, but that doesn't. You know, would they have been better with a joystick? <laughs> I would say probably yes. Well, mm, nah, very digital. The, the, I would the, say. Pro- the problem is, it's still kind of working almost like the MSX games to a grid based situation yeah. where you've got to be in line with someone and if you're using a, an analogue stick that's not truly analogue because it's not um, then it, it kind of makes it difficult whereas the, the D-pad specifically for like aiming as, as Leon was saying you can just tap the button once and it moves a little bit tap yeah. the button again moves a little bit you don't have to worry about being so precise the game was clearly it. designed because it had to be with both in mind because the user base was split at this point completely um, because the yeah huge amounts of PlayStation owners only had the original pads. It was only a, an additional yeah. option to go and buy the the uh, the new new fangled DualShock things. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say, each time I sat down to play it after the first ten minutes, I noticed that my thumb was getting pretty sore from having to hammer on the D-pad all the time, sort of roll my thumb around the 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 D-pad, which is obviously something you're just not used to with having a nice rubberized analog stick. It's alien to me. I, I honestly can't imagine playing this uh, via the D-pad way. No, honestly, you've got, I you've didn't got know 360, I could on the analog stick. Well, you've got 360 control. I mean, you can spin that, spin them around, go diagonals. Mm, go. I mean, yeah. you can just move them like a, a normal character. I, it it mm, seems somewhat. But I, I mean, I understand that you could probably do it back then, but um, I don't know, Paul. Did, did you? Would you have played it analog or digital? It always makes me laugh. It's analog or digital. Digital seems like it should be so much better. But yeah. <laughs> um, I actually played it on the PSP. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't be able to. Yeah, but that, that didn't work because that uh, your analog nub thing yeah. on the, the PSP that's actually L two and R two. Oh, okay. And you right. you need those for for switching inventory, which is actually really uncomfortable. Oh I yeah, wish I tabbing, played it on the, the PS three. Yeah, because you have to you have to do the nub thing and yep. then move your other finger your index finger <laughs> yeah right uh, and do the D pad to to switch your item so that that's quite that was quite oh. kind of cumbersome but I just got round it basically how does it look on PSP yeah just crap but smaller <laughs> <laughs> one of the the famous things about the, the the PlayStation visuals obviously we were we were wowed at the time Metal Gear Solid was a fine looking game in in 98 99 um, now you know PlayStation very low res um, it, it's a lack of color there's a lot of cross hatching being used to differentiate shades um, but the main thing is that 
its polygons are notoriously unstable, so you get a lot of flicker and warping and shaking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that's, you know, once you're playing it, once you've played it for five minutes, you, you know, you're not constantly thinking, oh my god, look at the texture on that, it's so low res. They are, but it's mainly the thing that mainly takes me out, I find, is wobbling polygons. Yeah, yeah, you get definitely. a wave effect across the screen sometimes, and that's one yeah. thing that it didn't look like you got on the PC version, which right. obviously yeah. it makes sense. V-Sync or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But yeah, it, it makes it look like... You, when you see the, the characters who've got camo on moving across the screen, mm. you get that effect sometimes when there's no when they're not there. It's just that's the way the, the environment sort of moves around you. But yeah, a little bit strange. Yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing that this was it was really spectacular at the time. The environments were large and pretty, and it looked it looked sort of high res, you know, for a PS One game, and uh, and it doesn't now. Well, I think it kind of does if you come from it, uh, come at it from the basis that the last Metal Gear game we played was Metal Gear Two, and yeah, so to uh-huh. see it jump from there, and okay, it's been a, a long gap, but you know, thinking back to the time, and I know we can debate about whether you put yourself in the shoes of someone playing it in nineteen ninety eight or try to appreciate it from today's standpoint but but what I will say is that even now it, you can see it's doing things that are incredible for you know for its time it's doing things that are really something special and it came out at a time um before we'd really had proper 3D environments and and it it was one of a group of games around that time late 90s that really you can see is changing the way games are being made and and being played. Yeah, I mean, we were already, you know, the, it's a bit of a myth that there hadn't been 3D games yeah. up until the late 90s. You know, there were there was the Freescape engine in the 80s and Atari did a coin-op yeah. called iRobot in 1984, which is solid vectors. But uh, it was perhaps, yeah, the time where they, where they started becoming playable. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you could have solid 3D and textures and it would actually... Yeah, I remember playing Starwing for the first time or Star Fox on the SNES and that, that had a few textured polygons and lots of flat ones mm. and the frame rate now is, is, is so poor even with even with the Super FX chip. Um, I think the, the main thing for me is that I think you know a lot of 16-bit games have aged a lot more elegantly than uh, a lot of 32-bit games and I think that apart from the fact that it affords you the very cool uh, Nikita and Stinger missiles in the first person, and the Metal Gear fight, you know, taking place on, uh, in the perspective that it does. I think Metal Gear Two looks better on a moment-to-moment basis than Metal Gear Solid does. But then again, it's a PlayStation Two versus a PlayStation. No, 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 no. no, no. Metal, Metal Gear, Gear Two. Oh, Metal Gear Two. <laughs> Here we go again. We thought we were done with that problem last episode. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. No. Sixteen bit looks. It. It's. It, it. To me, it looks more attractive, neater, cleaner. Um, than a lot of the time in this game it, it's very sort of muddy and murky and, but as I say it's not a big problem I, I would normally agree with that statement I, I, I think if we look back in, in 3D technology the PlayStation 1 is always the one that, that really has suffered with, with age mm. um, but I, I don't actually feel Metal Gear falls into that trap I think it has some of the issues of obviously low res yes that that's there for sure but it I think it really does actually transcend um, a lot of the, the issues with PlayStation 1. Uh, some of that is to do with the cutscenes, um, some of that is to do with the codex. It, certainly being immersed in the game helps a lot. But I, I think the the you know, the you know cold breath coming out of Snake's mm, mouth mm. still looks 
incredibly atmospheric, and I, you wouldn't be able to get that with a, a 16-bit game in, in the way that we saw with Metal Gear 2. Um, I also think the, the, the surroundings, as you're moving through the environments, are incredibly solid. Um, they still feel like, you know, when you're walking through a factory, it still really feels like a factory when you're in the snowy area. There feels, a, a, honestly, a cold setting within the Sniper Wolf um, battle and the, and the wolves crying out. Um, I think it, it, it achieved a lot with with 32-bit technology that oh, I, yeah. I think many games, actually, going well into the PlayStation 2 era, came nowhere close to actually... Um, you know, copying or representing mm. in, in that style, I, and I think when you look at the PlayStation One, um, you kind of fall in almost into two camps. You either think Final Fantasy One is, is, or Final Fantasy Seven, shall I say, is the best game on that console, or um, Metal Gear Solid is. That's what I feel anyway. Like they're, they're two of the it's greatest games. Castlevania Sym- Symphony of the well, Night. Well, well, maybe, and, and then maybe that falls <laughs> into your, you know, your more sixteen-bit exactly. looking yeah. and looking games. But I, I, you know, I recently went back to Final Fantasy, and that really, that really does suffer. I mean, oh, it's yeah. got some nice-looking backgrounds, but good God, the polygonal stuff in that. Yeah. It, it Even really the pre-rendered suffer. stuff looks quite yeah, aged. Um, but I, I honestly, I was, I was really taken in. It was kind of, to me, it was more like playing a, a DS game or something. Like it had plenty of power still behind it. But yeah, you, you wished it was more, and you were going to get more with the later series. But just the fact that when we come, you know, going all the way to four, when you come back to this place and they, they you know, they've, they've obviously resed up into mm. the ninth degree. Um, and, and it looks spectacular, but you have memories of those exact locations, and you know, yeah, yeah, they look beautiful. But you know, I still had the image of the PlayStation One version, so I, I think it still looks a, a, an incredible game. And the fact that it still holds up now is is a real testament to how good it was back then, and probably one of the reasons I was completely blown away. Absolutely, Tony. You said the word there; it was atmospheric, mm. and I think that's the thing that separates um, what the, the both of you are, are discussing there between the two D and the three D. For me, uh, Metal Gear Solid on the PS1 is absolutely just brimming with atmosphere, you know, and that is for the, the kind of the desaturated colour palette to the to the snow, and that that for me that that can that is able to kind of express an emotion, ex- express a mood far better than you know the the 16-bit games. Mm-hmm. But I think um, what Leon was saying was basically it's a more handsome kind of game to look at. Visually, and it's it's more kind of visually pleasing in the the two D version, the two D games, mm. and I think that that is that is totally true. But I think Metal Gear on the PS One is doing something far more, and what it needs is that that atmosphere. And so I guess I can see both mm. both sides of it. But um, there's a story being told in the PS One version, and I think yeah. the uh, the atmosphere and the mood of the PS One. Yeah. And this is a you know, this is a company that are the, the top of their game. You know, this wasn't oh, completely yeah. throughout the, the PS One. This is a this is a, a landmark kind of title. So yeah, I, um, it, it may be kind of treading over maybe where we're going to go with this, but I, I think it, it's actually tied in massively with the graphics. And, and Paul hit it, hit on it spot on. Is I, I still think the thing that keeps Metal Gear feeling like to me I, I was actually really apprehensive of coming to back to play this game because I do actually regard it as it's in my top 10 games of all time um, and you know there's that rose tinted glasses you know how good is this actually really if I'm going to come back to it now um, and the main thing I actually say coming back to this I was blown away by how atmospheric it still was it still had a lot of the story beats that got to me and if you put yourself back into 1998 the thing that it, it, it did different um, and this will play into gameplay all the stuff we're going to talk about is that it melded the gameplay and the narrative together. I think that's something that 
was really struggling in game design up to then. There was always, well, here's the combat section, here's the you know the text and stuff, and you know a lot of it. If you say the older Final Fantasies, there was certainly a lot of text on the screen, and there was feelings for characters. But I honestly think Metal Gear Solid was the first one that felt that as you came from a cutscene that what you were doing on screen was just you know a, a continuation of mm-hmm. what was going on yes it wasn't quite as, as pretty but then that's something we still suffer from games today which is you know how how great is the immersion of the the cutscenes and we come into the real world um and i think that's that's the the main thing of this game it really amalgamated those two things and, and crushed them together and it just felt like a continuous thing you were being a part of this story, a part of these characters, they died in front of you, and you continue on, and they were on the floor rather than just this—I don't know—just this separate game to story element, and it, it kind of broke that mold. But that, I mean, that plays on through all the gameplay; it goes on for the graphics, and, and I—it's it's not something I'd be willing to separate. Um, and I think if it was a, a 16-bit game, it would have really, really suffered and, and not had the impact that it had then, and it does now. I think the, uh, as we always say on Kane and Rince, as every good podcast does uh, the audio plays a massive part in the atmospheric side of things as well the Absolutely. the echoing sounds uh, the footstep sounds the the wind uh, the wolves and the birds the ravens um, all that stuff uh, without that if it if it still had uh, you know I love chip tunes I love 16-bit game soundtracks but it wouldn't be the same thing it would if it if it had the PlayStation 1 sound but with the 16-bit graphics it would still be more atmospheric than the other way around if you see what I mean if it had if it had PlayStation 1 level graphics but had uh, it, but sounded like a, a 16-bit game it would feel more like an you know an 80s video game than it does something more progressive not that absolutely yeah the, the you know we, obviously there will be uh, Samples of the soundtrack dotted throughout this podcast um, by uh, Konami Kukeha Club. Um, as we've established previously, the main theme, the Metal Gear Solid theme that everyone associates with Metal Gear Solid since Sons of Liberty was in fact by uh, Tappy, one of the Konami in-house people. Um, I, I hope you'll have heard it at the top of this show. It's a, it's a slightly more... Uh, it's a lower budget version, the version from Metal Gear Solid. It's... Uh, it's more synthesizers. Um, there are some voices in there and stuff, um, but it's not the sort of fully uh, beefed up, bombastic Harry Gregson Williams version. But it's uh, it's Konami's tune, and it's a great it's a great theme in its own right. story and go through some of the the, the bits because that's for me that's what Metal Gear Solid is all about it's about the the experiences of actually the you know you do a lot of different stuff and there's a lot of stuff which takes you by surprise less so perhaps once you play through Metal Gear 1 and 2 but still 
Um, so at this point, uh, after you fought Ocelot, uh, the, uh, a mysterious cloaked ninja turns up and slices Ocelot's hand off at this point. Uh, he's quite spooky. There's another great use of sound. His, well, theme, for want of a better word, is really quite unsettling. Um, not quite sure what the, those voices are saying in that, you know, you, do you know the piece I'm talking about? The kind of garbled... Yeah. Yeah, mm. it, it it speaks very much to um, what you later find out is going on with this ninja, mm. um, because obviously he is very um, troubled and haunted, and and is he's got a battle going on within himself at the moment. So <clears throat> the music's very evocative of that, and, and very unsettling in that Snake doesn't really know who this guy is or what he's doing, and he's a bit of a wild card throughout the the entire game. Yeah. There's uh yeah there's actually I can't remember was it at this point or but there's a there's actually quite a frightening scene where you go through a corridor that he's hacked up a bunch mm. of mm-hmm. soldiers and that's, that's that's very worrying at the time is that first quite soon before you fight him isn't it I think it's right before you fight him right, yeah. before, right you fight. before the room yeah. before you get in to see him standing over uh, that's Al right. Emmerich yeah does a good job of uh, does a good job of putting the willies up you. Um, it's this point in the game, backtracking again, uh, where the infamous uh, CD case uh, you uh, speak to. Is it speak to Merrill um, via the yeah, by, by the code, code on the CD case? Yeah, um, which is both uh, a fourth wall breaking device and also, as as has been pointed out, perhaps arguably an anti piracy or anti rental thing. Um, now everybody knows it. Uh, but at the time, it, it genuinely threw a lot of people off, and they had no way of, um, you know, they had to wait till next month's issues of whatever magazine to find out the answer. So there were people running around looking for the CD case <laughs> in the game, potentially for weeks on end. There was at that point where just after you had you'd beaten the boss, or you'd beaten Ocelot, that you you rescued Baker, you rescued Kenneth Baker, and he also remember he also suffers from a, a heart attack, mm-hmm. same as the same as Donald Anderson did when you had went into his cell. Yes. So you'd basically rescued both of them, and both of them, right. at this point, both of them had died right in front of you yes. of what seemed to be a heart attack. That's right. That comes into play later on. It as well. does indeed. Um, it's very different to. Um, Speaking about all the similarities between the first two Metal Gear games and this one, it's very different because in the first Metal Gear game, you're running around and all you have to do is find the hostage mm. and that's it, they're saved. Mm. Whereas in this game, you f- the first thing almost you do is find this hostage and he dies horribly in front of you, you know, quite mm-hmm. a, for a bloodless death, quite a gruesome one. Um, and And it really puts you on edge to think, wow... You really are a soldier on your own, and, and out of your depth to a certain extent. Although mm. you never really feel that that Snake is, but but you really don't know what's going on around you, and it cements the fact that there's a lot more going on in this uh, on on this uh, island than than you really have any uh, inclination of. That's what I really liked about the game. At this point, there there, there is so many, there are so many questions that are left unanswered, mm. and you know that everyone always says, you know, why does uh, Solid Snake, you know, in the conversations, the codec conversations, he always, you know, answers a question with a question. Mm. He always goes Metal Gear, Metal Gear, and like yeah. every every everything that's said is like a question. Fox die, uh, Fox die, and it's like yeah, why? It's because 
no, yeah, he's obviously acting as a bridge between you and the game, the, the player in yeah. the game. And you know, there are so many things that are left unanswered, so many questions that are introduced throughout the whole game. And at this point, yeah, you just watched, you've watched the, the Baker and Anderson die right in front of you, and you're like, "What the hell is going on?" And then, as you said, the ninja was spoiling it. Who the ninja is? Yeah, again, no, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. you know, like Grey Fox, who we had watched being blown up in uh, in the previous game, yeah. Metal Gear, Metal Gear Two. No one of these issues because we watched them being blown yeah. up anyway. So yeah, you're like, oh my god, what the hell is going on? And that is such a fantastic way of keeping you involved and wanting you and and you feeling that you want to progress, you know, and find out exactly what is going on. And it doesn't. It's not just one or two things, and then you find out the answer and then game over. You know, there's so much, so much information, so much going on. It's such a, a wonderfully well crafted and well told story at this point, and you're right in the middle of it. Yeah, it's funny as well because a lot of the criticisms we've had with, I think, well, we will have with Metal Gear is that it is somewhat confusing in its plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like this one's probably the most tame of them all. They they get absolutely crazy as the further they go. They, although they Metal Free, the over the over the overarching story gets incredibly convoluted. But as a player with your own your own kind of what's the word your own. Your reason for playing through it is relatively simple. Yeah. You just want to find out the next answer. You don't need to know all of the, you know, the context and the timeline and all that. As at this point, you are Snake. You are in uh, Shadow Moses Island. You have infiltrated the base. Stop what the next? Bomb. Yeah, it has to be said yeah, as well. He basically. gets played incredibly well by the organisations. I mean, it, even though I'd played through the game, probably this was my probably my fourth or fifth time by this point I'd forgotten a lot of the story stuff that goes on and I, even I was caught out a number of times by the twists and turns mm. I was like oh of course yes mm. I'm being played by this side I'd completely forgot that you know let's say Naomi was um, you know somewhat of a well she she's a bad girl I guess uh, one of the bad guys but you yeah, know she's totally somewhat at the yeah. ends I, w- yeah. I was going to ask about that actually because obviously I knew because I'd played through the digital graphic novel so I, I knew that she was sort of adopted sister of of um, Frank Yeager or Frank Hunter but most people presumably when they came to this point didn't realise that no whereas no. had you played Metal Gear 2 you would have realised that mm-hmm. or, or you, you might have because they pulled the same trick um, whereas in Metal Gear 2 it was Frank Yeager and, and um, then you find out that Frank Yeager and Frank Hunter, the same person mm. from it. I can't remember the name of the woman that you're you're talking Nastasha. to. The guys on the bridge. Nastasha. Um, yeah. Roman yeah. Uh, no, that's. There's there's Nastasha in this oh. one, but I think it might actually be the same name. Oh, they changed they changed her name. That's right to the. Yeah, Cam- Canon has been mucked around with due to translations yeah. and stuff. Um, so obviously, from my point of view, as soon as I saw Naomi Hunter here, having just played Metal Gear Two. I'd like to think I would have thought, oh, well, okay, that's a clue that there may be a link there, you know, once you find out that the the ninja is Grey Fox and start to piece that together, you might have seen that. But obviously for anyone who hadn't played, which is the majority of people who hadn't played Metal Gear 2, that would have been a complete sort of revelation to find out that Mm -hmm. she was related to um, Frank Yeager. So at this point, uh, I, can't, I can't remember who explains this to you, but it's uh, you're told that Metal Gear Rex, the new Metal Gear, is uh, a U.S. deterrent to China and Russia to uh, you know to prevent nuclear war. Um, and then at this point, you fight 
another boss already. It's Vulcan Raven, in, but in a tank this time. Uh, so you're on, you're you're in an ice field. Anything remarkable to say about this boss fight? It's quite again. It's quite imposing the fact that you're fighting an on-screen tank that's actually mobile and it's firing its main gun at you, uh, and which does quite a lot of damage. Um, in a minefield as well. Yeah, in a minefield. Um, so you, lob, well, you basically lob grenades. There's a gunner on top as well, isn't there? So you, you end up lobbing grenades sort of down into the in the hole, don't you? Uh, but you don't kill Vulcan Raven at this point. Uh, then there's some more exposition about nanomachines and the Human Genome Project. <laughs> Anyone care to expand? <laughs> um, that sort of comes up again later, doesn't it? So yeah. Uh, this is uh, the next bit is a great puzzle I suppose you could call it uh, where, where there's uh, something you, you need to deactivate an electrical field at the end of a long room um, which is uh, flooded with gas as well I think you have picked up your oxygen uh, your gas mask at, by this point but you can't progress yeah. because of the electric uh, current so on the floor so you uh, utilise the Nikita missile which you've picked up um, and this is where first person comes in because although you can control it from top down in the same way as you did uh, the equivalent in the previous games you can actually steer this through by holding down the triangle button and, and looking this is this is pretty cool yeah uh, I've written down in my notes here pissing guard I'm not sure there's 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 a lot of urination in the Metal Gear games yeah. uh, and there's some more there's some more later um, oh yes this is then it's the uh, this opens up uh, your path to uh, to see the the slaughter by Grey Fox, mm-hmm. who is uh, it turns out he's a masochist and um, he is demanding that you hurt him more, <laughs> hurt me more. Um, uh, what's that all about? He wants to feel alive. He that's, wants to feel alive by being dead, by being killed. Yeah. Well, his isn't it, Paul? You're probably closer to this than me, but it, his his sole purpose is to come back and fight with. Uh, solid himself for the damage he did back then, um, and but yeah, so he needs that confrontation, that fight. All this has been—he's got there because he knows Solid is going to be there, and he wants to be hurt to feel alive. Um, but you don't actually kill him at this point, no. do you? It's, no, no, obviously not for the Indian. But yeah, you, you get very close. But it's actually a tricky battle as well. I remember at the time having a, a fair bit of. Um, grief with yeah. this because I, I don't think I quite worked out the technique now I'd remember because you, you have to hit him you can't use yeah it took, him. fooled me for ages mm, um, you can't fire because he just deflects mm. the bullets with his ninja sword yeah. um, but you, you have to basically go mono and mono hand on hand and um, but even then he's got a pretty powerful kick if you get caught mm. between one or two of his hits then you will find yourself using rations but it's, it's a nice scene to to kind of go back to bare-fisted even though you've got all these power these weapons between them it's, it's back to the battlefield yeah we should say as well that the the sort of character progression is almost identical to the previous games in that after every significant fight you get a boost to your both your your health bar and also your the number of everything you can carry goes up almost in an RPG style but um, also, I mean, once again, coming back to the time, it, it's a it's a fight where he puts on his his camouflage, mm. so you can't actually see him within the screen. So the best thing you can do that is put your thermal goggles on, so it highlights where he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, all this stuff was was new mm. to mm-hmm. us anyway. Um, I feel almost cheated now that I, I, all this stuff could have been quite earlier in in the game if I had an MSX. But yeah. that that was actually quite 
confusing back yeah. then. He'd disappear from the screen. You could work out either from, I think there's a slight faint you know, shimmer of his, his yes. camouflage in yeah. the right corner. Um, and you can get some early hits. But if you just put your, your heat vision on, then you know, easy hits ahoy. So, interesting battle. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I think the boss battles in this game are phenomenal, almost across the board. Um, there's things about the first ocelot or the only ocelot battle that are that are fantastic as well, although it doesn't work quite so well. But um, this one, I loved the fact that boss battles nowadays are look for the flashing green, red, whatever Orange, it is, massive damage. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. L- look for whatever is giant and throbbing in front of you, and throw your biggest weapon at it, and. And if it looks like you are struggling at any point, they will throw you a hint. Whereas with this fight and throughout this game, it challenges you from the moment that cutscene ends. You open up your inventory, you start pouring through looking for what is going to help you in this fight. Mm. Um, and and then if you still need help, you can go to your, your um, codec mm. and start calling up people and inevitably either um, Master Miller not really um <laughs> colonel campbell or um or otacon after this point yeah will give you some piece of information to help you but you can work out on your own and it doesn't it doesn't spoon feed you it demands a little thought from you to to work it out and it can get frustrating but i felt really challenged by that to open up my inventory and see what would help me. And thermal goggles are almost always a good idea. (laughs) Honestly, even if you can see them, you may as well have them on because it will show up if there's any mines or it will show up if there's any um, uh, pickups. Gets rid of extraneous detail as well, which might distract you. Yeah, absolutely. It just highlights the things that are important. Um, bring bring this into a, into a point as well because if you, if you go back from the original Metal Gear games, obviously you, you know we joked about the Running Man, for instance. And <laughs> it, it wasn't a particularly compelling fight in any way, shape, or form. And a lot of those fights were interesting, but you know just they just happened. They just happened to be there. And I think we were probably more infused by the fact that they had all these tropes which we used to be later on in the series. Yeah. Um, and if you look at today's um, boss battles, nine times out of ten they're more frustrating than they are rewarding. Um, they're they're almost a difficulty spike, and and there's very little reward for it. Like James said, you just get the biggest weapon and try to hit the big glowy spot. This really did hit the sweet spot where there, there there's a lot of interaction with the character prior to the actual boss fight itself. Then during the boss fight, there's actually a lot of conversation between the two. So as the fights go in, you still feel engaged there. There's the puzzle element, which you know isn't particularly highlighted, but it's it's obvious really when you you put your mind to it. I think, and so they they actually feel like they're integrated into the game rather than just these aspects of well, we've made the game harder. Enjoy now you get to use that weapon for the first time only, or just these tiny little snippets that just happened I think they all feel like they're actually part of the narrative part of the gameplay, part of the story everything's just continuing on they're just part of that as in you defeat the fight you move on so uh, now you meet Hal Emmerich, Otacon uh, who explains why he's called Otacon um, who dries off his trousers and then starts talking yeah of course he pisses he, the, this is yes more urine uh, Emmerich pisses himself when you first meet him and I really don't like the way they show this guy to be I, I know he is a fantastic character throughout the series, but between this game and, and uh, MGS4, I think they they should have given this guy a bit more of a backbone. I know he's supposed to be the every man caught in the middle of this, you know, uh, sort of battle of wills between every man who's warriors, a nuclear scientist. But, but it just 
they make him this really just wimpy is the only word you can, yeah, he's a total you can use for it. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's a bit much, I think. He grows a pair at the end. Uh, yeah, kind, kind of, of yeah. but, uh, yeah, yeah. So he, he, Remember the uh, police notes posters on the wall at this point? Sorry? There's police notes posters on the wall. Oh, this at is police, yeah. You're, um, you're talking to hell. Is it Merrill is a character from Police Notes? In fact, so there is a crossover in the universe, I believe. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Apparently so. Yeah, um, I mean, Police Snorts and Snatcher would be a, an, a, an interesting cane rinse to do, but it wouldn't be easy, necessarily, <laughs> uh, for a number of reasons. Um, so, Otacon Emmerich reveals that uh, his grandfather worked on the Manhattan Project, his father was born on the day of Hiroshima, and he's been creating uh, Metal Gear. It's his father in Peace Walker. You know that, that you work with, with um, Snake. Ah, okay. And that that's all explained in that as well, during the, bit, the, the Cold War and stuff like that. Okay, we'll come back to that in four months' time then. Um, my next note uh, regarding my progress says, Snake is a nihilist and a fatalist, but loves the ladies. Uh, I guess this is one of the points where he's hitting on Meryl or Naomi or Mei Ling via the codec. All three at the same time, quite frankly. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's my bugbear with this character because mm-hmm. they refer to it quite significantly in this game that he is a man who doesn't emote a lot. He is a man who doesn't care a great deal for humanity. He is a warrior and he does what he thinks is right in the battle. And yet, any chance he gets, he's flirting. He's, he's still it got urges. Really incongruous. He's still got yeah, urges. Human instincts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But it just seems really incongruous to me. It just yeah, seems it like does. a very odd uh, duality to him. Which is, is fair enough. That's his character, but it's really obvious in this. And I, I would argue it's probably the Western appeal of James Bond at this point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They're trying, they're it comes completely that, off yeah. as you know he's oh he's suave in in that department Sorry. and. It is. It was actually. It's strange because Liz was actually really engaged in the story in, in this one. So she was watching with me, and she kept like, laughing at every single line it would hit. If because we were listening to a lot of the codex, mm. it consistently talking about hitting on and certainly Mei Ling um, and Naomi, and like everybody. He he basically if it's if it it's a woman and it moves, then he will try to hit on it. Um, there's there's a number of times it looks. Conveniently, up, you know. they're all cute. You know, they're all hot. Yeah, Merrill's yeah. there's a, there's a Merrill's arse shot. There's a Merrill's chest shot. There's there's oh, a number apparently of times. Um, <laughs> sort of Easter eggs where you can um, the couple of times you can see Merrill, um, but you can't actually interact with her. So when you go to Donald Anderson, you can see her in the next um, cell. That's right. And and there's an Easter egg where you yeah. can she's doing sit ups and you can make it so that she's doing sit ups uh, without any trousers on. For instance, which is just yeah. If you follow her to the toilet, um, you have to mm-hmm. uh, again similar gag to the the MSX two uh, Metal Gear two bit that broke it for me. You have to um, follow the uh, soldier with the wiggly feminine ass into the toilet. Uh, in this one, if you if you arrive at the cubicle in time, you interrupt her, and she's only got her pants on, so well and a top, but uh, yeah. Do you remember the scene later on where he's being tortured, and he he's, he gets onto the co- uh, where Snake's being tortured, hmm. and he gets onto the codec, and oh, you know, I can't remember who it was. It was maybe it wasn't Nastasha he was talking to. It was was it Naomi? I think it was Naomi. And he's like, just speak to me, tell me anything, That's right, yeah. just to get his mind off it. And I think his kind of flirtatious nature with those characters is, was kind of in keeping with that. You know, he's he's on his own, he's freezing. Obviously, the odds are against him, and I think the flirtation is just to. Break the tension a bit, 
with the player, with us as the player and he himself, you know, for survival, you know, is to think of being somewhere else with someone or something like that, or is it when when I get out of here we're going to go for dinner type thing? <laughs> you know, I think he actually did say that. Yeah, um, yeah I suppose it's it's the most high spirited thing you can do at that point, isn't it? Really? Yeah, that's that's what I would take from it. I wouldn't I wouldn't think he was that massive womanizer because uh, quite inconsistently actually in, in Mayor to Gear Solid Four. You know, you see him being very awkward mm. uh, and unable to kind of talk to kids and women. So, <laughs> so I guess I don't know. But isn't it also part of his his character where he, he's not just a man of the battlefield? I mean, that's what the accusations is that he's just this you know genetically modified thing to be you know on the battlefield, and that's all he knows, and that's all he does. And and we know certainly from this game as well that that isn't the case. That you know when Meryl's been been put into danger, his instincts is to try to help her out. Now he says he he does it just for himself. It it's not any part of his his genotherapy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just you know, and I think that gives him a you know in in many respects a character flaw and I think that's a really important thing for the series that he isn't just this man of of war that he he has feelings and he gets wrapped up in in, you know in the like the Meryl scenario and And you see you those feelings don't you yeah and then that plays probably into one of the most powerful scenes in the entirety of the Metal Gear franchise which is you know jumping ahead but Meryl getting shot in in the sniper wolf battle Mm -hmm. and, and his feelings for her and you know, there's a fantastic codec conversation between him and the Colonel, which mm. obviously, um, you you later actually find out that Meryl is actually the Colonel's daughter, mm. um, which it's odd because that's in the the, the bad ending as such. But uh, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit later. Yeah. One thing I will just quickly say is, and it kind of leads back to the graphics, is when you encounter Meryl in the in the bathroom, um, she she points out that she's got a foxhound tattoo. Oh yeah. That's right. You can kind oh, of yeah, see it. Right. So basically, I got in there pretty quickly after, and you go to the cubicle, and Snake finds the soldier's uniform laid out over the toilet, essentially, and then she puts a gun to your back and says, "I got mm-hmm. you again." Basically, and you can see this sort of blue and white tattoo mm. on her arm, which is clearly the loading screen foxhound symbol from yeah. Metal Gear Two. Yeah. But you can't quite see it. They have a conversation about of, it, don't they? Cause yeah, well, yeah. She says it's not a real tattoo; That's it's right. a paper tattoo. But yeah. she's been a f- fan of Foxhound since she was a kid, and you know she idolizes yeah, yeah. them. So As you it, are, it's you never know. explicitly said that's what it is. But it, it's the graphics are good enough; you can just about see that that's what it is. But yep. it's not really good enough that you can actually see that that's what it is. Right. If you get what I mean. So, uh, so uh, next up is uh, the perhaps one of the most famous parts of the whole Metal Gear Solid thing and it's Psychomantis and at this point I'd like to bring in uh, Andy Kurosaki's comment from the forum he says when I was at uni I played through Metal Gear Solid from start to finish once a week for at least a couple of months uh, each time getting more and more codec conversations I've missed the previous time it's a game filled with brilliant moments for me my favourite being the battle with Psychomantis from reading your memory card you like Castlevania don't you to moving your control pad with Psychokinesis to having to plug your pad into port 2 to stop him reading your mind Hideo Kojima may be a bit bonkers when it comes to story but few others can give you something you've not seen before uh, the first time I fought Psychomantis I really thought I was playing this uh, pirate import copy of the American version and when the uh, screen goes black and the word hideo comes up in the corner (laughs) I thought it was 
I thought my game was broken. I honestly thought uh, it was some sort of anti-piracy device. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you get a yeah, high-pitched whining. I didn't know that was your kind of cue to uh, to uh, sort things out. And I think I, I pretty much think I turned the console off at that point. And uh, same to my girlfriend of the time. Um, oh, I think that copy of the game's buggered. Um, I can't remember at what point I found out. It may have been days later where I read up on. On, on in a magazine or something that this is your cue so I didn't even get as far as the frustration of not being able to beat Psychomantis because I was in control of port 1 because uh, yeah I, I just went oh, panicked and switched it off but I think it was partly that I, you know that I guess Kojima totally did his thing there because Mantis's hymn has been playing for a while at this point which is a, quite a creepy piece of music um, the voice acting isn't amazing but uh, it's a little over the top even for then I, again I remember finding most of the voice acting in the game a little cheesy and, and a bit amusing but um, but the setup for him was cool um, a lot of it was the sort of effects of him appearing as a sort of apparition above people's heads and stuff like that um and there's that very sort of harsh sort of grinding sound that sort of high pitched like a buzzsaw that uh plays when he's doing his thing and and i think all that combined to actually freak me out a little bit so fair play that's uh, a memorable moment in a game and then yeah and then the memory card stuff because um, i had a whole load of uh, konami stuff on my on my memory card so I I can't there's there you can look up the list on the internet of all the things he comments on but um yeah Castlevania uh, ISS Pro I think um Vandal Hearts possibly Suikoden maybe I can't remember but yeah the the more Konami games you can get on your memory card before you get to that bit the better <laughs> probably almost the most famous boss fight in any game isn't it I would say it's I would say pretty much yeah um, everybody that has memories of it everyone wants to comment about it uh, I think certainly because I was playing at the time I had no idea what was going on um, it took me a long time to work out the controller port tr- trick but I did eventually the thing that got me and it sounds so quaint now is the controller rumbling um, this was <laughs> fairly new technology then obviously Nintendo were doing it the, the N64 pad but this DualShock thing was, was pretty new and unique Um and he tells you to put the controller on the floor and he, with the power of his mind he shall move it and I don't know what was going on with me I mean I was 18 I, sh- I should have been able to control this but when my pad jumped I jumped <laughs> nice um, because it was you know, it, it, it's breaking that, that fourth wall again it, it's something the games you know, weren't really doing uh, and, and certainly weren't doing in, in a convincing way um, but yeah, making the pad jump really was something special do you think there's a, there are any Metal Gear fans anyone here even who actually find all the fourth wall stuff disturbs them to the point that they don't appreciate it in terms of it not serving the the, the mythos in that every time colonel campbell says you know press uh, you know press this button or do you know or press x yeah or, or, or s ocelot says press, press the action button yeah stuff like that yeah. is there, is there not an argument which says that all it's it's all you know it makes us go ah, cool and it's and it's stuff and obviously on some level we all know we're playing a game all the time but is there an argument for the fans of the the narrative and the mythos that it's actually detracts from that because you're going ha look you're playing a game um i would say very specifically that when I played um, MGS3 in, what, 2006, 2007? No, 2006. Um, that would have been the very specific reason why I did not want to play this series. I liked stealth games. 
Hitman games, Splinter Cell, that sort of thing, loved. Right. Because they were, you could get involved in them. There was nothing to break you out of the story and what was going on. And then to come to this, it was like, I kind of didn't want to know I was playing a game. But now, especially in that Psycho Mantis fight, and it comes very quickly after the um, the uh, Grey Fox fight, and you sort of—I I loved the Grey Fox fight, and I'd heard about the Psycho Mantis fight, and I sort of thought it's not going to live up to it, is it? But all of the stuff that you've just talked about—the music, the the way it looks, what Mantis is doing, and the fourth wall breaking stuff, including that Hideo screen—just was brilliant. I just sat back in in awe at what was going on because it was it was Kojima through Psychomantis saying to you, "You're mine now. You know I I have control over what you're doing. You are going to do exactly as I tell you, and you're well, going to enjoy Merrill doing well. it." He has control of Meryl. Yeah, you have yeah. to slap Meryl about. Yeah, and yeah, it's just it. It really is it it shows how wrong I would have been to have dismissed this a few years ago if I'd have played it um, because it it works. You know, it it against all odds, it says you are playing a game and you know you're playing a game and you still want to know what's going on in this story and you still want to save Meryl and want to break Psychomancer's control over you. It, it's... it's- Brilliant. It's quite strange as well because playing the PS3 version, I, I still had those same feelings as well because obviously the pad, the pad rumbles, um, but you have to still change controller port by going into the. It's like, a different mechanism, button. not physical anymore. Yeah, you, you have to go in there and, and tell it, yeah, I want it to be two A rather than one A um, mm. to to get past that fight. Uh, he still does the memory card trip, but this time it's like your memory is completely clean unless you've yeah, managed to download the other three Konami games that are on the service and make a save. <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah. Um, so that all works. And then um, because I'd, it, it, you know, I'd played through this game a number of times, I'd probably only saved, say, half a dozen times up to this point. I was doing pretty long game sessions. And the fact that it said, you do not save often. Uh, you are reckless. I, and just the way that it's like, <laughs> you're reckless because you, know, you don't, you don't you know, try to save your I progress. always and get, I thought that was a really nice often. twist. You are very careful. Yeah. Uh, And if you do basically punch Psychomantis to death as well, Uh, this is although you sort of aren't necessarily aware of it at the time because you're you know the 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 hand-to-hand combat is not spectacular. The you know the three-hit combo is quite enjoyable, but it's all a little imprecise and it doesn't feel. I wouldn't say it probably feels better than it did in in the previous game in the series, but it's still not amazing. and then you know by the time you've whittled down Psychomancer's health bar and he's been chucking furniture at you and stuff um, you suddenly he's lying on the floor (laughs) gasping for breath and you realise that you've actually basically stoved his his already hideous face in which is yeah it's quite a thing I quite like the story as well that he's rebelling against his father as well oh that's right yeah um it that it was it just seemed like quite a personal story that you know he wanted to kill basically everybody he could to to you know because his father was that way, um, mm. or just because he was born hideous. I I can't quite remember, but it, it was, and then you know once he, he's on his deathbed, he, he kind of sees the light and uh, you know who Solid is and and how close he is to his you know his brother or his twin. Um, it's it's a fairly decent speech. Then uh, quite soon after this. Uh, you uh, meet Sniper Wolf for the first time or Meryl meets her uh, other end of her muzzle and takes a couple of bullets 
and then you can spend as long as you want and it's generally quite a long backtrack uh, going and getting the PSG one which is inconveniently hidden about two thirds of the way through the game backwards uh, which is I remember at the time um, even a lot of the very positive reviews of which there were many um, said there's a bit of a cheap moment where to extend the game uh, they send you back about I don't know half an hour or something to get a to get a gun which they could have just put in the next room you know and I, I wouldn't have minded um, so you come back and uh, you have the 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 fight with uh, Sniper Wolf all the way down all, all the way down the other end of an alley um, I couldn't actually I did you know I did this okay but I couldn't actually work out if there was a way of doing this without taking any damage if you get well if you get lucky essentially um what you would have to do is sort of creep out enough so that you could see at just the right time when she was mm. running rather than getting ready to shoot you. Yeah. And if you get your sights on her before she gets her sights on you, you can yeah. sort of chain together enough shots yeah. to to take her down. But you've got to be pretty judicious with making sure you get the um, diazepam taken at the right time yeah. and have your have your uh, scope on her at all times. Yep, diazepam uh, to uh, steady your aim, which is again another cool thing that I don't think I'd ever seen before. No, up until that point, uh, which has sort of been replaced by take a breath, yeah, hold your breath rather yeah, yeah, than yeah, yeah, clicking. The Presumably stick because well. popping yeah. diazepam is probably not the best thing to have <laughs> yeah. a, a protagonist doing. Yeah, he's reckless with his health with his sigs and diazepam. Although it does, um, one of the codex does say, you know. Diazepam's great, but don't take too much of it. Mm, mm. Um, you know, they tell you the dosage <laughs> amount and how much you should take. So there is a bit of a cautionary warning there from uh, Naomi Hunter. I think it is. Yeah, I think I think if you um, I think if you hold any of the weapons and call uh, Nastasha at any point, you can get a big old breakdown on virtually every item in the game, can't you? Um, including some sort of real-world history and tech specs and stuff like that, uh, which I didn't do a lot of, but occasionally I did it by accident. You, I see you are holding a chaff grenade. Chaff grenades? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> did we want to talk at all about the wolves? Because by this point you've come past them. Oh, did I miss the wolves? Quite, yes. Quite the, interesting. Yeah, yeah. The the wolves are, are, are cool and uh, a little creepy. Um, and yeah. Uh, vicious, yeah. But there's a there's another cool little trick involving urine, involving piss, indeed. Yeah. All <laughs> oh, right, really. Oh, did you not? I don't know this. this. Yeah. yeah. No. no. So the first time you go through, uh, you're, you're in caves. Is the at- this is where the atmosphere is absolutely dripping. Um, absolutely fantastic. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah, fantastic sound. Howling wolves. Um, very minimal soundtrack, but effective. Sort of hollow, echoing sounding. Um, there's a lot of items to pick up here, um, but most of them are non-crucial. But you have to crawl through these uh, in between the walls. Um, but once you've crawled through the first time, uh, Meryl's standing there. She's uh, ahead of you at this point. Um, yeah, she helpfully says, follow me through, and then... Runs off. You, you can get to a point where you see a hole in the wall, and she's just stood there waiting for you, and it's like, well... Yeah. That wasn't very helpful, was it, really? Yeah, it's, I, I actually, th- this is this is one point where, although, as I say, the atmosphere is fantastic, the quality of graphics... The camera isn't... Yeah, the camera's tricky, and because mm, there, yeah. there's little holes under, and, and it's dark, you can use night vision, but that doesn't show you the um, gaps between uh, no, on the floor. No, it's guesswork a little bit. There's, the same, yeah, yeah, it's... it's um, 
something that a, a remake would do very differently I think now mm-hmm. but yes you uh, if you catch up to Meryl she's uh, she's talking to a wolf puppy I think um, and uh, I, I don't think I would have ever worked this out but if you if you slap Meryl at this point just one punch to the face um, to make the uh, that makes the little puppy wolf that she's talking to come over to you if you hide in a box one of your cardboard boxes of which you've probably got two or three at this point um, it will piss on the box that you're in uh, and from that point on <laughs> as you if you if you need to sneak through those caves again and you do a couple of times if you equip the box that's been scent marked uh, all the wolves um, have a heart next to them display a heart and think fondly of you so there you well, go um once you've taken down uh, no actually before you've taken down Sniper Wolf uh, you can get her handkerchief yeah. which does mm. the same thing which was what I ended up with So yeah and then yeah, you get rid of the handkerchief later after you've killed her and lay it over her face but you don't need it anymore after that but you can still use your piss soaked box if you really want to backtrack for <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really deal with the fact that the box would have disintegrated but um, yeah uh, so after you have taken down Sniper Wolf um, you get very clumsily captured, which are, is one of those sort of rather annoying action movie moments. Like, you know, your your super cool James Bond solid snake type figure has just snuck and shot his way through a base. You know, you could have been playing it for a no captures playthrough, and then oh, I'm just going through a door. Oh, there's a gun in my back. I'm captured. There, it's, and it's from nothing that you did. It's purely story beat. Yeah, it's a it, yeah. it's a bit. That is really daft. It's a bit like it's a bit daft. It, it makes Snake look a bit stupid, but not as stupid as a moment that happens later on in the game. But uh, so uh, this is the again another fairly famous section, the torture section. I think um, I think all subsequent games have something like this in them. I don't know yet because I haven't played them. I know there's uh, there's some kind of endurance feat in most of the Metal yep. Gear games and in this one it's simply uh, you're on a you're in a sort of electric rack and you have to pummel the action button the circle button to uh, not have your health drop away or you can concede without even trying and press the select button but that's now, not a good idea presumably this is the inflection point in the game that yeah. the, I, I just hammered on the button and it's ended up having to do it three yeah. times instead of two yeah. and mm-hmm. it's not difficult no but presumably this is the point where if you chose to give up, that would dictate what ending you got. Correct. Yeah, complete changes right? the ending. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know because I've um, tried it. but yeah. uh, Basically, it, it, it changes between whether Meryl survives at the end or whether <laughs> she dies at the end. Also, it does tell you that you know you can give up, but if you do, he lays it out plain mm. and simple, yeah. the, the woman will die, he says. So. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Uh I don't know. Does the torture get more difficult to survive on yeah. higher difficulty levels? Uh, oh, oh, I don't know. It it does the more times you have to go into the torture room. Yeah, because there's there's um, an extra time. So if you if yeah. uh, there's sort of three two or three sequences here, um, and there's the, again some cool Metal Geary things, famous moments. Uh, so after the first lot of torture, you uh, you can call Otacon, and he <laughs> rather amusingly turns up with some stuff to help you, some rations and a bottle of ketchup. And of course, but at this point, you're you're in the room with a, a corpse, a cadaver, basically, yeah, a corpse yeah, of yeah. of the, the, the DARPA chief, corpse, mm. the rotting and blood drained corpse. That's of, right. Uh, yes, Donald there's Anderson. a sort. You've you've only just watched Donald Anderson uh, die, basically. So yeah, 
is that I watched him die of a heart attack. So and he's covered in maggots, which is really quite horrible. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So that that you're like, so how come he's decomposing? That's right. Yeah. And and there's one of the conversations you have is you know I mean I just saw this guy die and why have they dragged him in here, drained his blood and he's rotting. Um, yep. So yeah, there's a little clue that something's not up there. The fox die scenario gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. At mm. that point. So. Uh, Yes, at this point, I'm not actually sure what all the options are. You're you're in a cell guarded by a comedy guard who, uh, you know, every good uh, <laughs> evil base should have a comedy guard in it. This guy has got both the cold and the runs. Uh, I guess he's got some kind of flu, even though he's even though he's a genetically engineered genome super soldier. He's a complete. Is, is this Johnny? Is it Johnny? No, Johnny Saski's a. The one, you know how the guy when you rescue when Mel escapes, you see him with his arse in the air and the ah oh, yeah, the um, the grid. That's Johnny uh, Akiba uh, Sasuke who's in all of the games. Oh, okay, Hapless and he guy. marries Mel in four. Yes. Spoilers. Yeah. yeah, that's where I know him from. But the behaviour of this guard sneezing and oh, having to course, run to the yeah. toilet with his hands over Clutching his, his pants yeah. are pure Johnny. I mean, could be him as well. Soldiers all have treatment to stop them they have nanomachines in them to stop them uh, although I don't know what they do by this point but to stop them getting ill or mm. having any um, any qualms about what they're doing um, and and Johnny obviously the idea is he doesn't so this guard seems to typify that behaviour although there's nothing to indicate that it's him by name oh, that would make sense because that's the whole thing about Four the fact that he's so different yeah because he has the reason that he can uh, that, I've never thought about that. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I suppose there's nothing to stop it being him because he's, you know, he's come around from his earlier being knocked out and having his ass up in the air. Uh, so yes, he runs off in a in a comedy Japanese cartoon style to the bog. Hilarious, absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Strange, brilliant. Strangely out of place, but uh, he, he sort of he sort of bends over. He's clearly having stomach sort of troubles, <laughs> mm. and then just leans back almost as far hands over his backside and runs I, I had no idea what was going on <laughs> put it in first person camera and just followed him yeah. eyes wide what on earth is going on here it's just it's brilliant so Absolutely it was brilliant. Johnny I've just looked it up it was Johnny it was supposed to be him right yeah so there are I'm not sure what the options are here so uh, you can get Otacon to bring you some lunch um, and there is a way of using that which is rather excellently to uh, equip the ketchup lie down on the floor and and uh, I think you action button it don't you to you press the action button sp- and, and splurge it out so yeah. Johnny comes in and goes Jesus what the hell's going on now I actually I remembered this when I was playing it and I did it and I got up to punch the guard out but he actually ran back out the door before I'd finished yeah, slapping him yeah that's what him. happened to me yeah <laughs> so I ended up no, back- so- I did it too soon and he just laughed at me because like, what the hell are you doing with that ketchup <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, so I was stupid. the only one where I got through it because then you don't have to go for the next talk that's channel. right if you so is it right then you can actually have to go, only go through the torture once because I was under the impression you had to go through twice and you might have to do a third time no I think if you call Otacon he will come straight to you I think it's it's twice. So that's what I had. Yeah. I think the first time you, you come back in, then there's the whole DARPA chief. You do the whole codec thing. You go back that's in again, right, yeah. and then on the third, you, you Otacon you comes to you. Then yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if if you fuck up, the Otacon one um, Ray Fox ninja turns up and just busts open the door for you. I yeah. believe that's what happened to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened to me. I I got the ketchup thing, worked it out. He came in. I stood up, tried to hit him, and he just ran out and locked me in. And then I, I 
kept trying to lie back down in the ketchup while he just kept saying what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was a, it was around the point of the torture where you you see liquid again. Although it's Ocelot who tortures you, um, you learn quite a lot more about. Uh, he explains that brothers, you know, one one is lighter, the other is dark. Uh, the sons of Big Boss, the Enfant Terrible project. Um, they need uh, solid snakes and Big Boss's DNA to fix problems with the genome mutations in the soldiers and and all this stuff. Um, there's yeah some more fourth wall moments which we alluded to. So uh, Revolver Ocelot says, "I'll know if you're using auto fire." Um, uh, but he doesn't. No, does he not? He, do- he doesn't know. Okay. No. Um, that's a shame. But he says it. Uh, and there's something about a save game at that point. Is he, yeah, I think he, I think he says something like, eh, "You haven't saved your game for a while. <laughs> Hope you get through this, all right." <laughs> uh, th- this is the point after the torture that you get the uh, dual shock arm massage, uh, which another it, it, she actually says, uh, "Put your controller up against your arm." Uh, then she this is yeah this is actually the point where Snake is talking to uh, Naomi about Jaeger is that right yeah there's several conversations sort of spaced from the point at which you assert that uh, the ninja is Grey Fox Um, she's trying to get more and more information from Snake about his relationship with Grey Fox Mm -hmm. and how they feel about one another and I think yeah while you're having this conversation she's a, she's surprised that you seem to be a caring uh guy and and that you value he values his friendship with gray fox um yeah so you finally you're busted out you pick up your items and there's another cool little trick here because uh, you you've uh, accident you've picked up another item which you, I did notice and and you like oh okay T-bomb 147 oh, I don't know what that means <laughs> and then uh, next time you pick an item well, that's weird T-bomb 78 <laughs> okay uh, and if you don't <laughs> get rid of T-bomb item by uh, equipping pressing circle you're blown up and that's it game over yeah. uh, but you get a, a codec call though. you do get a call yeah, yeah. Uh, is it From... Master Miller that says oh no um, it's Deep Throat it's Deep oh, Throat right, yeah, okay. you're right and Deep Throat Grey is Grey Fox. Yes. Fox. It's They'll call if you haven't realised by the time it gets to a minute, I think. At 15 yeah. seconds, you'll okay. get a call to right. say. Yeah. You've got There's another one of these you can pick up later on, which has a shorter timer on it, but yeah. another neat little yeah. device. Yeah. Uh, you collect a... Th- this is very much uh, similar to your items being on fire in yeah. uh, Metal Gear 2. Absolutely. Or eaten by a snake. Yes, indeed. Again. <laughs> yes, yeah. That too, things yeah. that had been Absolutely. done before, but we didn't know. And it was still cool anyway. Uh, so you collect a uh, oh no there's a there's a stairway climb which echoes very much the one in uh, in Metal Gear Two and is utterly rubbish I think uh, what what that is for I have no idea it's not fun endlessly regenerating enemies that you can't shoot properly because you haven't got elevate you can't elevate your line of sight so you have to walk up he does kind of auto aim but yeah, yeah it's a bit it's not not it's to mention running around the the staircase you tend to end up putting yourself up against a uh, the inner That's wall right. a few times and you and, pick up items on the way so it's not even like you're having your items whittled down it's just boring well I can I can see in his mind it's like well here's the action moment of the game as he's trying to escape from the, the torture mm. stuff and th- I think the bigger problem is it goes on you have to climb these stairs for about yeah. two minutes it yeah. goes on for 
ever or two minutes. It doesn't um, feel quite so long to me as as the one in no, probably not. Uh, MG2 did, but simply because in MG2 I simply did not have to stop and shoot anyone. I just kept running, mm. and so it was literally just holding sort of direction buttons on the yeah. the keypad. But at least you can see everyone in Metal Gear Two, so they're not uh, on top yeah, of you before you're actually, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you not have to go back down the stairs though? As oh, well, yeah, you go you go up those stairs down the other side um, <laughs> with its. <laughs> I, I messed up that bit. I get really confused. I ended up doing those same stairs about oh, four no. times. Oh. It was driving me absolutely bonkers because I didn't have the the right weapon. Is it right? Go back down. So I went all the way back down the stairs to that the second oh, you have to room pick up the rope? where yeah. you can't. Yeah, yeah, that's why yeah. I forgot to pick up yeah, the rope. Yeah, don't miss the rope. <laughs> I thought you I couldn't had, miss the rope. I thought up. you had to run through it. It's placed nah. so that you you probably could, because it is quite specific that you have to run <laughs> oh, on the top of it. No, what, what happened was I'd, I'd played, I'd picked up the rope. I had You hadn't picked up the stinger missile, presumably. Is that right uh, at the bottom there? You've got I, can't, the... I can't recall about that, but I'd, I'd been killed at the top for right. some reason. So I was like, right, just this time, I can. I don't need to try because the room you get the rope in, it's a dead yeah. end, and the door doesn't mm. open, even though you've got the key card. So I was like, I'll, I'll just, I'll just go right past it and just go straight up. And I was like, oh, you've not got the rope. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so I had to go all the way back down, get the rope, then go all the way back up again, just to Arse. go back down. <laughs> oh, that's oh, not fun. No. See if you miss the rope. That is an absolute yeah, nightmare. That's not fun. It does. It does. It conclude with a call. Abseil down the side of a building, which is pretty. Yes, again, this yeah. was a, a, something that wouldn't have been. They couldn't have really done in the previous no. games because the the camera pulls out. It's almost a side on underneath view, and you you are yeah. Campbell gives you your controls. I guess this is the equivalent of the bit in the previous games, the jump, uh, the parachute jump, and the hang glider section. Mm-hmm. This is the this is yeah, the that equivalent, but you can actually you you press a button to repel, and you you can swing left and right, and there's. But did you get to fight a hind V? Well, you oh. always fight a hind in every Metal Gear game that, that I've mm. played so far. Uh, but um, this one, you get to do it in sort of 3D. Uh, yeah, so you end up at this point fighting um, stealth dudes in an elevator. And rather comically, it takes Snake ages to work out what's going on. Hang on a minute, there was a wait alarm. And I'm the only one in this room. <laughs> and then they have a leng- he has a lengthy conversation with Otacon. Hmm... That's weird. Otacon says something like, "Oh, I forgot to mention earlier there were, there are like five stealth suits, but four of them are missing. I don't really know why that would be, but and then yeah, between them, that, that's between them, he could have given you one uh, of those damn suits you know, <laughs> on your sneaking and your sneaking mission, snake, and right behind yeah, you. Exactly. You I've got four. I think he about. actually alludes to it. I said, "Oh yeah, I was thinking of giving yeah. you one." So when I went back to get them, they and they're not there. Oh, and then, yeah, and then there's right, a sort of right. one-off um, codec graphic huh? shot of him going, "Whoa!" <laughs> in yeah, the right up against the the screen. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, not, n- these are soldiers that take a few more hits than normal, but it's not not particular. Yeah. But it's the same. Remember the, the referred to as the four horsemen yes. in the the Metal yeah. Gear and yeah. on the MSX games as well. That's another yeah. complete yeah. take on that being attacked by four people. When I and it's repeated later elevator. in this game as well on a different elevator. Yeah. Uh, then it's back out to uh, Sniper Wolf, on uh, this time in the outdoors, in a in a different area with trees and some contoured terrain. Although I think there seems to be a bit of a fudge when you when you when you look through the site, you pretty much get uh, it's almost like a it's canned in that 
what you're seeing is dictated by the part of the game you're at rather than what you would actually be seeing down your scope if you see what I mean uh, so you have another it's very similar to the, the previous sniper wolf fight only she can move a lot further left and right uh, yeah yeah, almost almost identical um, the, the I suppose the slight difference being that the well, you're outside and and the blizzard, but it doesn't really affect your aiming or no, firing at all. No. Um, I I think the actual fight itself isn't anything particularly no. remarkable, although the setting's nice. <laughs> it's nice. Um, but but it, well, you know, even the snow and the other pools and you know, it, it's very <laughs> atmospheric. But um, the the death scene of Sniper yeah. Wolf actually really got to me. <laughs> yeah, um, same wow. here. Uh, I I've had, well, I don't think we'll have time for this in this particular show, but I did manage to get a, a really good YouTube rip of it. But it's about five minutes uh, long. Um, but it's it's quite powerful stuff. It it mainly focuses on the obviously you know she she was kind of well, she was born on a battlefield, so all she's seen is she's a Kurd. Yeah. Is that right? Um, yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she's basically born into this lifestyle, and all she's ever really, you know, known about is how to to be this. And she's trained to be a sniper, and she's in the shadows, and you know, she's very little interaction with people. Um, but it, it's a talk about her death scene. That, I don't know. There's just something about it that um, the game does a really good job about they're, they're having respect when um, the each individual box dies, and Sniper Wolf is more so than all the rest. It's when she dies, there's a a certain level of like comradeship between them two. Like, well done, you've you've defeated me in, mm. in combat, and you know that's that's a big you know feat because I I believe I couldn't be defeated. Um, and you know they always give you their kind of the life story how they got there. And there's some pretty powerful ones in there, but this one in particular, really, I think it's just her voice is is very calming. Um, you give her, her, her your, you know, she wants her gun to basically die with. And on top of that, which is a weird thing we haven't talked about, is Otacon has ended up falling in love with um, mm. with her as well, uh, and essentially sees her get shot in the face. Um, so he pretty much falls apart, and he falls apart in every game after there thereafter. But he's still willing to help uh, Snake though, even though Snake's just taken her down with about nine sniper bullets and then finishes her off with a double tap to the skull. Yeah, but it was well done. <laughs> it was done with tact. I think Snake found a lot of similarities with Sniper Wolf mm-hmm. and being alone on the battlefield and never being able to do anything else. And I think is, is that the bit where they go on? Do you think it's possible to see to to find love on the love battlefield? battlefield? Yeah. And I think I, I don't know. I, I, I was quite affected by that as well. I found that quite an emotional emotional part. And that's when Snake kind of. He seems to get more kind of resolute in his mission, doesn't he? Is I'm going to finish this type of thing. And um, they, they highlight a lot of the Meryl situation there because obviously he talks about, well, why did you shoot Meryl? And she, you know, she was merely just bait. I have no interest in killing, and you know, pretty much an innocent party in this. You know, my prey are, are singular targets that yeah. you know uh, have been marked for assassination, and you were just one of them. You know, it's just basically war. Um, and it's, it, I think it's actually quite powerful stuff. Um, and if you put yourself in '98. Those kind of speeches weren't really uh, certainly voiced speeches were weren't really doing the rounds uh, that often. So. I think at, at that point as well they're trying to differentiate between a killer and a murderer. Mm-hmm. I think mm. that's quite a, a, is that an a, is that a, even a distinction? I don't know, but in in the in the game it is. Yeah, well, it certainly is in in the game. And by this point, I'd started to realise that um, they were very much trying to give each boss their own character. And their own philosophy on on mm-hmm. war and battle, but it all feeds into 
Kojima's philosophy and the series philosophy on war and and the people who are um, on the front lines and and have to take part in this war for reasons they may not believe in, but they have to find their own code and their own way to 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 survive on the you know amongst other soldiers who they have a lot of respect for, but maybe friend or enemy. Certainly as, as well, because I think the 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 nuclear stuff. I, I think it's although back then seeing the the FMV of the nuclear missiles going up and, and ultimately the Hiroshima mm. bomb going off. Um, I think you know was very powerful certainly in, in ninety eight. Um, but I, I think it feels slightly unbalanced. It's, it's just it's not particularly well hand, hand, handled coming back to it now. And I think the actual characters and their speeches about you know their place in society and how they've ended up in these situations do a lot better, a lot, a lot defter job than kind of the, the ham-fisted, here's a nuclear nuclear was bad and you should know that and we need to be the deterrent and sometimes governments do stuff that you you shouldn't know about but, but you know we save you and you don't know. It, it's It's quite formulaic in that respect but the series would move on to, to talk a lot more about you know the war of the battlefield and, and how the, the economy revolves around these people. But um, I, I think Sniper Wolf was, for me, a real kick-off point for a lot of the emotion that comes from the series. Uh, you end up in a blast furnace which seems a little uh, odd at that point uh, but it does make for um, some sort of graphical variety anyway uh, then you find yourself uh, descending two long elevator rides into um, some kind of uh, snowy lair uh, as ravens circle above you even though you're deep underground um, this is also the point where um you start to uh, Miller starts to talk to you about the fact that uh, Naomi is possibly full of shit about her backstory and the fact that she's involved. Uh, so you you end up in this uh, well, I guess it's like a meat storage place or something. I don't really know. Um, Vulcan Raven is there who you've already fought once but not properly. Uh, he is probably not as well explored and rounded a character as sniper wolf he's he's a he's a shaman and he ha, you know they say he has supernatural powers and he has some kind of kinship with avian life but he also carries a fucking massive gun uh, which he fires at you and uh, you can defeat him with a combination of devices uh, most handily nikita missiles which you were taught to use hours ago in the game um, which you can sort of chase him around the uh, the crates and uh, or just some C four combination. Uh, stinger missiles work as well because um, oh, okay. they can home in on him much like they did the the hind D uh, previously. You just wait for him to get into your path and then fire it off and, and make sure you run to cover. 
Okay. I just use claymores. I just put down a whole bunch of claymores oh, and yeah. just kept walking into them. I remember, but way back when, I'm trying to remember, I, I played it recently, obviously, I, I didn't find a boss battle that difficult, because I know how to approach boss battles now, you know, in all video games, but I do remember back then, him being really scary, actually, like, there was something mm-hmm. about him, not scary, there was something about him I found very intimidating, and, and quite kind of unnerving, the fact that he was, he was all spiritual and stuff, but he was absolutely resolute in his belief that you were going to die, and he had this massive cannon, huge gun. <laughs> it's just absurd, and he just looked like a killing machine, and he was, like, slowly but steadily chasing you to your to your death, and I remember being absolutely terrified of that when I was a kid. The nemesis. Yeah. I, you know, that's the, the only other one who scares me rigid is Nemesis <laughs> from Resident Evil. It's just a, a, a primal kind of fear that I have, that that Nemesis thing just absolutely terrifies me, but he tapped into a similar kind of nerve there. I, I think even, well even just mechanically, I mean, he is very big. He can do about as much damage to you as quickly as any other boss can with that cannon. He's also Behind got helicopter. A, a, a giant um, vision cone. Uh, so yes. he can see you from almost across the other side of the room. And you're never safe no matter where you and are. And he moves really quick if you let him get mm. up speed. He's moving pretty swift. So yeah, he's... that's what intimidated me as well. I remember yeah. that. Is, yeah. it, is it when he gets lower on health, he gets faster? Yes, that's and right. And you hear him kind of maybe breathing a bit heavier and just being more determined and determined to catch you down. And the kind of dynamics of that fight builds up towards the end where you're properly bricking yourself. Well, I was anyway, uh, but. This time I just put down all the claymores, you know, so mechanically I was able to beat them. But like back then I was like throwing my controller about, going, Jesus Christ, he's coming for me, you know. So <laughs> I think I found the hind more intimidating because it could rise up and 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 go down and fire missiles, whereas I always felt I could sort of outrun uh, Raven. Although there were points where because the uh, the soliton radar continues to show your position. Um, if you're using, as I was, the Nikita missiles, you can very much lose track of where you are and where uh, he is in relation to you. So there were a couple of times where he was facing me and shooting at me while I was merrily steering a missile <laughs> around the, the area, trying to f- shoot him up the backside. So, but yes, uh, an interesting one. Um, not yeah, there, there's some kind of end speech, and he sort of disappears. His his massive fucking gun remains, but he. He pulls blades into the ether. Yeah, I find him a, a weird boss in the game. I find that he kind of sits at odds with every other kind of boss. In that the game could have, or, or could, he could, the game could exist with or without him. Basically, he doesn't seem to have much of an impact on the story. You know, he doesn't seem to be like a lackey, or you know, he doesn't have the ear of Liquid Snake. Or he, I don't really understand him and why he's there. He offers this weird kind of spiritual sense of foreboding or something like that and I, I love him, I think he's a brilliant boss but I found him quite a bizarre inclusion in the game, I don't know if you, you agree. He doesn't really impact anyone but Snake in the game I think is what I'd say he, mm-hmm. all the other characters you feel like they fit together as a unit that are against Snake as a whole but he just seems like a hurdle to be got over in order to get to Rex Yeah, I feel like a very old school end of level guardian in that respect to me but maybe that's just me, I don't know. Uh, so, again, more conversations regarding the uh, the fact that Dr. Naomi, Hun- Naomi Hunter is in fact not Dr. Naomi Hunter is, and is some kind of spy. 
there's various bits at this point where people are having codec conversations with you and then the screens go, then you hit, poof, ooh, ah, and they get dragged away. Um, <laughs> first, first it's Hunter, then it's Campbell, I think. Um, which is the point where uh, you find out that, oh, you haven't yet found out that Grey Fox is Deep Throat. Oh, you haven't yet found out that Miller is, in fact, Liquid Snake either. Um, ah, yes, okay, so uh, more more facts about Metal Gear Rex. Um, it's, uh, it, <laughs> I don't know how plausible any of this is, probably not very. Um, the reason it's so important, so dangerous, so critical is the fact that it's, uh, it's going to launch its nukes in the form of a, or via a railgun. So it's not a missile, but it's a stealth weapon, so it couldn't be detected coming in. Um, doesn't give any vapors trail off. Basically. Yeah, it doesn't any burn any fuel, right, okay. Um, oh yeah, this is where you overhear the conversation between Snake and Ocelot. Um, they talk about changing their target to a nuclear test site in China um, to create friction between the US and China. Um, yeah, I got a bit confused there. It didn't seem to make a hell of a lot of sense what they they were either changing their plan or I don't know it just all seemed a bit bit like a mental plan. Ultimately, <laughs> the government wasn't giving in to their demands. I, so I, they were yeah. gonna the bigger issue is why are Fox owned there in the first place? Because yeah. they actually the ex, the reason they so I was going to say excuse the reason they give for it early on is that they were doing this test of Metal Gear Rex. They needed to mm. get the test data and. I'm pretty sure this is an exact quote. They wanted Foxhound there because they're a special ops team who could help keep the Metal Gear project secret. So in order to keep Metal Gear secret, they bring in on the secret another six, is it six people in Foxhound? Something like that, yeah. For no good reason. I mean, maybe they're there as security, but they've got all the genome Mm. soldiers there anyway. So it seems very... Odd. Genome soldiers are a bit shit, though. Yeah, they don't turn out to be that great. <laughs> but it, seems, it seems a bit flimsy why Foxhound are there at all, but now yeah. they are there, yeah. They seem to be sort of winging it in terms of what they're actually going to do in order to get their way. Um, but their goals also seem fairly flexible. They want a billion dollars from America mm. and Big Boss's um, remains, but they also want to show the world what America has created with Metal Gear Rex and yeah. then sell that on to the highest bidder as well. So yeah, it, it's, it seems like there's there's quite a lot going on and it seems like um, Liquid and, and Ocelot have got multiple potential outcomes that would be beneficial to them. So th- they kind of look like they're destined to win at this point no matter what they do because one way or another they get their way. There is a lot of story mm. right in that end section because because you find out obviously that Metal Gear is an American project. It's funded by, oh, who's it's it's all the secret organization that is a, the tier below the president. Even the president doesn't know that Metal Gear exists, mm. and that's mm. how they have the ability to kind of bribe them or blackmail them. And ultimately, that's why Campbell doesn't want any of this information to come out. Is because um, you know the president doesn't even know about it, and it would be egg on their face, and you know it could be turned up against them. It does get quite story heavy that, that, that around that section. Yeah. Uh, so the 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 nuke is set activated to be launched here, or we think it is. Um, and uh, it's at this stage that we re- we're, we're told that we don't we, <laughs> we need three key cards to deactivate the launch, but we've only got one. But in fact, we have got three uh, because it's uh, um, a what's it? What do they call it? And shape memory alloy. 
Shape memory alloy, well done. Same as the key in the to key to the locker that holds the, That's the right. Oilix formula. Um, That's right. In Nastasha's in brooch, wasn't it? Yeah. She gave you when she died. Although that was only two forms, one hot and one cold, I think. And in no way is this an excuse to get you to backtrack to yeah. the cold and hot it's areas. It's awful. Of the... <laughs> it really <laughs> is. Oh, it's not that bad. It takes ten minutes at most. It's awful. But you're, you're built up at that point. You, you're really wanting to proceed and you have yeah, to climb yeah, all yeah, okay. the way because you've yeah. literally ascended to the top of Metal Gear and you're like, oh, I need to go all the way to the bottom to go all the way back up again. And I've already had my exercise, you know, at the stairs yeah. previously, so I'm just yeah. ready to get on with it. Also, be- bear in mind that scene, it, it continues with, you know, um, Solid himself looking for the door and, and you know, e- e- eavesdropping. Then they discover that he's there. He gets oh, shot at. Oh, God, this was the bit the I alarms was referring go off, to earlier. So, yeah, your key card, fl- you know, flies down and goes into... He's got the- his elbow sticking about, yeah. this master fucking soldier. <laughs> but no, but be- beyond that, it, I think it actually gets worse. It kills the story for me at this point because the key card mm. flops off. So you, you go off and get the key card. Yeah. And then... That's like they they disappear. They don't lock down the place. Like <laughs> they've worked out that solid is there, but yep. they just leave the door open. Yeah, so you can come back up and and There's but like ultimately two guards no between key. you and the yeah. And the, but, and the but because as it transpires, they actually need you to use that key card. True. That's true. That's that, true. Yes. The, the thing that yeah. sort of broke it for me was they should. I mean. Not only can you see his elbow, you can see the key card as well. So Ocelot shoots and it's just the, the way key he throws it up in the air. It's yeah. hilarious. So, so they actually, they actually risk losing the key card by shooting <laughs> Snake there, which is um, yeah. But the gameplay conceit, which is you have to go back to um, the cold area, so the the thing where you you fought yeah. Raven. Um, then you need to go well, first, back. Yeah, first you have to trudge through some some water at the bottom of Metal Gear. Um, which is again something we saw in in previous yeah. Metal Gear games, um, and there's items hidden under the water, including time bombs. Uh, but eventually, you find the key. Sorry, Tony, carry on. Well, and because of this, you you have to change the shape of the key. So if you you're basically normal temperature, so you can do the first key card without any problem. Uh, then you have to go to back to the Raven. Yeah, but fire, first, and then you, you have to do the room temperature one, which it already is at whatever room temperature means. Um, so you go all the way back up first. Then you have to go all the way back down Metal Gear. Rex to uh, Vulcan Raven's lair, mm-hmm. and then all the way back to the furnace. You have to wait for a few minutes in yeah. the lair, but then you need to go right back to the top of Rex again to insert the key, and then all yep. the way back down yep. through the, the Vulcan yep. Raven's pit into the furnace, back yep. into the Raven's pit, back up. <laughs> that it's, is absurd. Uh, it's very cool. I, and I really the only good thing about it was that when I went back to the blast furnace, I stumbled across the body armor, which I hadn't found at that point, which probably oh, made yeah. the no, I didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just through you know the the very hot steam room. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's there's uh, a hidden sort of crawl space to the left. Ah, uh, okay, right. Uh, yeah, I, I went through there and got all the things I could pick up uh, at that point, but obviously didn't find the hidden crawl. Space. I know this happened to you as well when you uh, when you freeze when you go to freeze the key to its blue state. It also freezes your food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rations, rations get frozen, and, and they can get, get frozen, frozen if um, if the Vulcan Raven fight takes long enough. They'll get frozen as well, which can uh, be a bit I frantic if you need that. health desperately. Shit! Wow. <laughs> yeah, it happened to me. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they do defrost That's... if you equip them, though, which is odd. I don't know why. Maybe because you're holding it in your hand or something. I, don't I think that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're coming right to the the, the denouement of the the story here. So uh, this is where you learn uh, properly about Fox Die, uh, and it was that um, Kenneth Baker and Decoy Octopus, not. Um, Donald Anderson uh, had Fox die 
Um, you also learn that uh, this is where you learn that we've already given away that Jaeger is Hunter's brother. Uh, Hunter, in fact, is indeed, uh, as has been hinted at, a spy, an enemy, and wants Solid Snake dead, and has already injected him with fox dye. Jaeger's not, Jaeger's not her brother in real life. Like no, 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 yeah. He killed both her, her parents. That's right, yeah. yeah. And took her under his wing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but the the uh, the actual um, subterfuge that she commits is not injecting Snake with fox dye because that's on the orders of um, oh, the yeah, Secretary right, of Defense, yeah. I think. Technically, what she does is she changes it so that it will attack him as well. I think, although it turns out oh, that right. may well have been on the orders of someone else as well. Um, but she certainly mm. she has motive to want Snake dead. Yes, we, that's yeah. what we learn at this point. For for uh, blowing up her adoptive her brother only, in yeah, her only family. Two, yeah. Uh, so um, yes, at this point, uh, Master, who's been helping you throughout, uh, reveals himself <laughs> by untying his hair and removing <laughs> his sunglasses. <laughs> that he was in fact your identical clone twin, uh, Liquid Snake, all along has been manipulating you, um, and you've activated the detonation rather than deactivating it. do uh, this, this reminded me very much of the famous Bioshock twist. Uh, it's not as well done as 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 that, but uh, the 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 Atlas twist in that game where you've been being led to do so. Oh, sorry, I've just spoiled Bioshock. By the way, <laughs> um, you, you haven't quite spoiled Bioshock because you haven't said no. exactly how the twist relates. <laughs> Maybe we should stop there because we all know what you mean, and anyone who's played both games will know what you mean. Yeah, so there's a bit in it that's a bit like Bioshock, which obviously came out uh, several years later. But it actually calls straight back to Big Boss in the first Metal Gear, because he's yeah. helping you all the way through, and then it turns out he is that's right uh, in charge of Outer Heaven. So it's, it's a callback to that, I guess. So Liquid explains that uh, he explains more about the Enfant Terrible project that uh, that he and Solid were both uh, built born from. Uh, experiments involving Big Boss's DNA. Um, Liquid is is very bitter because uh, there's a complex thing. Basically, Liquid got all the recessive genes and Solid got all the strong. Okay, I'm genes. going to interject. Nonsense. Okay. Absolute garbage. Rubbish of the yes. highest Just order. Last time, didn't you? This is absolute nonsense. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, what I did really like was uh, the Psychomantis battle. He touches on the fact that we are machines for our genes, and the genes are what control us, mm-hmm. really. And that is um, what is then explicitly stated by Liquid to be, and I recognise it because I've read it. Um, part of the selfish gene theory that uh, Richard yes. Dawkins wrote a book about. Um, yeah, yeah. And and that's a really interesting notion. It's an extension of uh, Darwinism that says that actually the genes are designed to survive through the generations and they cooperate with one another to form the machines i.e. us and that we are um, we are subconsciously controlled by them so although genes Mm. don't have conscious they act as if they do that's how evolution works and although we appear to be conscious technically we are just following the genetic laid out for us, is, yeah. so so there's a lot of that going on which is which is good because it's it's dealing with that in the correct way talking about the fact that yes we have a blueprint that leads us to certain tendencies Evolution. but it doesn't actually dictate the way we behave so it's this notion of nature widely, versus nurture kind of 
widely known in back fourteen odd years ago or fifteen sixteen when it was in development would that have been yeah yeah this the selfish gene uh, book was written in nineteen seventy seven i think well, it's late seventies um and and they actually handle that all that side of things really well. The mm. bit that they don't handle very well is um well, one thing Naomi Hunter says is memories are stored. We thought memories might be stored in DNA. No one's thought that for a long time. Um, Assassin's Creed uses that as its premise, and mm. it's the one premise yeah. you kind of just have to swallow with that game. Um, yes. But but in here, um, in this game, they 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 kind of muddy the waters because they put a lot of sort of real genetic principles down, and then sort of twist them a bit to suit the story. And it doesn't really work. That's what they quite do with that. everything, though, isn't it? Yeah, they take, a bit, they take so. liberties with reality to yeah. make it into compelling fiction. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. To, to, often just to kind of mm. the gene therapy and stuff with Grey Fox is a, like scientifically there's a there's a hell of a lot of flaws in it, but it still makes kind of soap opera quality kind of. It's fiction. yeah, it's a problem where you take the reality to quite. A, you know, a far point, and then suddenly you take a massive left turn yeah. into fantasy at I the mean, end. It's, yeah. it's a bit different to having a hot... of scientist member. So you're, yeah, yeah. You're, you're yeah. feeling that this is all yeah. authentic. This is real, and then they take a yeah. massive swipe. And, and that's that's the issue, I guess, is that th- this universe is built on a Cold War foundation, if you like, and it's built on the foundations of reality. But then, obviously, you've got the supernatural elements of Psychomantis yeah. and Vulcan exactly, Raven yeah. and. Excuse me. It all takes a bit of a left turn, as you say. Um, but there's a couple of key things. So um, Liquid says that they are identical twins, mm, but that he no. got recessive genes and mm. S- L- Snake got dominant. That doesn't make them identical twins. If they got different genes, then they are different. <laughs> yeah. They, it's, it's similar to being non-identical twins, where you are only as genetically identical as a brother and a sister. Mm. Identical twins are identical. If one of them got a recessive gene, the other one got the recessive gene too. Yep, sure. But don't they even play with that as well? Because at the end, they say basically that was a lie. That in fact it was the other way. It was the other way about, and proving the fact that actually personality and behaviour traits are the things that shape uh, a human being just as much as their genes. Because he believed in the fact, you know, he believed so much in his genes that he just basically forged de- destiny. But ultimately, he falls that destiny. It wasn't his genes because he was under the wrong. It's almost like following a religion to the very letter. That's the thing, actually. I mean, a lot of the the flaws in the genetics here can be placed on Liquid's shoulders if you believe him to be wrong. But mm. their recessive genes are not inherently flawed compared to dominant genes. Um, yeah. The example I would give, just quickly as I can, is um, that you you get autosomal dominant disorders so a dominant gene would be the gene that gives you Huntington's disease that's a dominant gene and it's clearly not a beneficial or good gene in any way likewise a recessive gene sickle cell Mm. is is a recessive trait if you have one copy of that gene it actually protects you against malaria which is why it spreads and why it's successful if you have two copies it cripples you so it really isn't cut and dry as either liquid or at the end of the game they say in both cases they're wrong to suggest that the one with the recessive genes would be inferior or the one mm-hmm. with the dominant genes would be inferior it just doesn't isn't work like the that. whole metal gear franchise based around this kind of stuff like that you know they ultimately were experiments and experiments mm-hmm. that the government would rather forget about their you know their 
they're not perfect and you know the fact that they're trying to create a, the, the super soldier the perfect weapon ultimately is a flawed concept anyway because you know people's characters will always show through in these situations so and i think they go a long way to to make snake into a a human being rather than just a mechanical gene therapy person so i yeah, think they yeah. de- they by the end of that game they debunk most of the concepts that they set up anyway and it makes for probably a, a slightly more interesting story although it is fascinating to to see the factual side of, of something like this Absolutely. I've never thought about that before, but that makes complete sense to me. Yeah, definitely. yeah. And, and I guess my problem with it was that the the two states they propose, one that Liquid has the flawed genes and one that Snake has the flawed genes, both of them are incorrect, which is fine because that it may the point may be, as you say, Tony, just that philosophically it doesn't actually matter which genes you got, it's what you do with them that counts, is, is the message. But the fact that everyone in this game seems to have a basic misunderstanding of what flawed and recessive uh, recessive and dominant genes are is is just a bit irksome that no one points out that actually you're basing this on complete nonsense but is is this something that i forget now is this something they do continue throughout all the rest of the game certainly in four i remember being as perplexed with the genetics <laughs> in four as i was with the genetics here I guess we'll find out. Not least of all because of what you find out is going on in in 2 with Ocelot's missing hand. Um, Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) So so the the genetics, I can't remember exactly why, um, but I obviously will when I replay it. The, The genetics is dodgy. And the problem is it's a bit like watching CSI if you know anything about forensics. Yeah. Mm. You know, there's... Yeah. You know, scientists aren't that good looking. (laughs) <laughs> hey, I was one of those scientists, and, and no, we're not. Um, but, you know, the notion of a lot of the stuff they say, oh, I'll just wait for the DNA result, you know, yeah, come back in three days. Uh, so a lot of that sort of thing, when you get science and popular culture, as you were saying, yeah. Paul, it kind of falls down because anyone who knows about the science sees the flaws. The, the problem is that they they almost get it so right in this game talking about the philosophical Mm. side of genetics and talking about eugenics, which is a a side of genetics that went badly wrong uh, and is linked to Nazism and that sort of thing. So Mm. they they lead you down the path with so many good intentions and then just the specifics they put in there are kind of... They just lose it a little bit, I think. Yeah, I think bad science in fiction is absolutely fine if the fiction itself is only trying to tell a story of other things it's allegorical or whatever but where the science is actually part of the story and part of the the the, the consideration for what that drives the the narrative and the character's actions i think it probably does pay to get it a little bit tighter um or right <laughs> as opposed to completely wrong. yeah i think if the science had an actual impact on the, the story and how things panned out because as tony was saying you know it's all they're just talking about it essentially you know it doesn't the, the recessive and the dominant genes it don't really come into play they don't affect each character you know mm. that has been debunked so other than it, twin envy well <laughs> yeah liquid has runt syndrome doesn't he yeah, basically he's like uh, inferiority and yeah. he shouldn't have because he's brilliant I love that camp accent that has very very I'm not not keen on the voice acting at all master of disguise as well I think he's absolutely brilliant I think he's utterly hilarious and just just the right amount of kind of David Bowie-esque 
camp. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too Saturday morning kids cartoon for me. As I think even in, again, you know, thinking about the time that this was, um, there was some there was some poor voice acting going on in video games in the nineties. We know that, um, and some of the performances in this game are not as bad as a lot of games. But uh, Liquids is not not my favourite, I have to say. He makes me laugh every time I hear it. So well, it, yeah, it is that what he's supposed to be doing though? Oh, well, <laughs> so. actually, yeah, good point. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but. <laughs> if I've got a smile on my face when he comes on screen, then you know I'm kind of happy with that. And how did they survive the crash with the hind? That's oh well, that's what I always wanted to know. Probably he also jumped. survives the toss over the edge of Rex as well, doesn't he? Yeah, so, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So mm. he's he's very much the horror uh, villain coming back from the dead several times before he's actually gone. Yeah, so, oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. So you fight uh, the screen-filling end of game boss as you do. Uh, it's Metal Gear Rex this time. Uh, missiles to take out his sensor array. Um, and his ray dome. Uh, See what you're saying about the ray dome and the railgun. They they also come into play a lot in Peace Walker. Okay. Where you're building your own Metal Gear Zeke, it's called, and you'll you'll find Whoa. that later on, obviously. But yeah, it's Mr. Fox. Grey Fox turns up and basically. He tells you to to attack the radome, doesn't he? To open the little blind uh, liquid and make and force him to open the hatch and reveal yeah. himself. Yeah, it's his. It's it's him that actually uh, Grey Fox that finishes off the radome as well. You've damaged it with with the um, with the stingers, but it's uh, it's Fox who actually finishes smashing it up. Yeah, then it's, there's a, a point it's actually Otacon that tells you to attack the radome and tells you about That's the weakness right. and you'll have to oh, open it. But it's then it it's then Grey Fox that turns up and actually destroys the radome. And, it's and a very yeah. similar fight to four, isn't it? That's the, the point at which I had the problem because I was using the Stinger missiles, and when it went to the cutscene where Grey Fox arrives, I was stuck looking at the Stinger missile display at a wall with oh. subtitles. So I immediately what if that was in the original disc version, That's yeah, a, or it, an emulation bug. I, I don't know whether I just didn't. Um, come out of the stinger missile in time but every time I tried it it happened so I just went onto YouTube and watched that were you not looking at Grey Fox through no. the yeah was it is it not the bit where you're, you're, it says you know kill me and um, and you're pressing the missile button and, it, and Snake's going I can't no. do it I can't no no I literally I, from the point at which it faded away from the first time I uh, so when I took out the radome basically uh, I got stuck on the stinger, and the next thing I saw was Grey Fox being crushed and dragged off the right, okay. side. So he'd already been crushed against the wall, and it's just when um, he's finally sort of squelched across the, you know, horizontally and tossed out, and then you go into the next fight. So I missed all of that, which obviously is pretty crucial, given that's the sort of resolution between Snake and, and Fox and... Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and the actual destroying of the radome. So I went and watched that on um, on YouTube. So uh, after Solid takes out Metal Gear as he does another day at the office, um, they have a, a lengthy exchange, Liquid and Solid, about uh, the nature of the joy of battle and how the killer is inside Snake and it's his genetic imperative to kill. And uh, they are a project of this seventies. Uh, product of this 70s project the Les Enfants Terribles um, which came from Big Boss DNA there were eight clone babies six of them were aborted 
uh, and and liquid implies that this means that they're both complicit in murder even before they were born, uh, which I disagree with fundamentally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't think they had any say in that. Um, and then you have a rather underwhelming um, homoerotic punch-up like yeah. uh, Women in Love. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is not great because, as I say, the the, the hand-to-hand combat is not amazing. Um, although, although there is the added tension of the countdown timer. Now, can someone explain true. to me, because Liquid says that he is going to set this bomb to detonate at the precise moment of Meryl's death and then <laughs> presses a button to set a timer off. Is Is he sort of playing with our notion of causality there? Because... He seems to suggest that the bomb will go off when her heart stops or when she ceases to breathe or, you know, when she actually dies. That will mm. be the trigger. But what he's actually doing is setting the bomb off to kill her. So although both things are going to happen at the same time, one's <laughs> causing the other and it's not the way around he suggests. Uh, I have no idea. I didn't even... That didn't even cross my mind, I must admit. <laughs> That's I didn't notice that. He, he clearly puts his thumb in the air and you hear a little click or yeah. a small like beep yeah, that yeah, he's yeah. setting the timer off. Um, yeah. But yeah, it just struck me as no. He, he actually said it would go off when she died, not the other way around. Mm. So, yeah, odd. Still, does he really need to be setting off a bomb when the base is currently being bombed by uh, U.S. forces being nuked anyway? I mean, is there actually any reason to for him to do that, given that the friendly forces have decided to hush up the entire incident by what should we do to prevent this? Thing about this big nuclear strike. Oh well, let's nuke the place. Uh, let's nuke the island off Alaska and say it was the terrorists, kind of thing. Mm, an accident. Yeah. All got a bit. All got uh, a bit well, I guess at, point. at this point he says it doesn't matter that he destroyed Rex because he can still detonate the base with a nuclear uh, blast, and that will still put the U.S. in a difficult position because it will reveal their nuclear testing site, I presume. So maybe the idea is if they bomb the base, then they will use their cover-up story, whereas if he gets to detonate it, he'll get to tell the story of what's really going on. It, it's well, they can, it's they iffy. can use a cover-up anyway. story anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, well, we've run this long on Metal Gear Solid. Imagine what's going to happen with Metal Gear Solid's 2, 3, and 4. <laughs> um, but hey, it's a long show, that's fine. It's, it's Metal Gear Solid after all. Um, the ending... Then uh, there's a jeep escape. Um, after well, all this, not Sorry. not to make it e- even longer. I mean, this goes back to the torture scene. There is there is the possibility of two very different endings at this point. Um, yes, one being if if you forget, well, if you, you one, gave up on the torture canon, scene, one isn't. yeah, yeah. I mean, the, okay, the good ones can. So so the one that isn't is if you gave up in the torture scene um, ultimately instead of saving Meryl Meryl dies at that spot and actually it's quite an emotional moment where Snake is is pretty is, is very cut up about this uh, Otacon arrives and, and basically says look you know life needs to continue on I've lost um, Sniper Wolf on the battlefield and yeah we, we need to get out of here and there's a jeep let's do that um, or if you if you manage to survive the torture which is the one that is canon um, once you've defeated uh, Liquid um Meryl is alive and well, and yes. yeah, well, well, alive. <laughs> and she's, um, well. she's yeah. in fact, they have a very, uh, they have more um, movie style, uh, Bond style flirting. Yeah, 
And then uh, Otacon comes on, on the comms and basically says, look, I've opened up all the gates. In fact, I'm going to uh, sacrifice myself um, and open these gates up because somebody has to and then you can escape and mm. you know, I'll, I'll take one for the team, essentially. So and that's meant to be his, his point um, where he, he kind of grows more into a, a man and rather than just this uh, person that hides behind the cloak all the time. What's uh, what's weird is about the uh, the bit with Merrill and Solid Snake is that uh, after he's finished kicking in liquid, he's uh, he's all sweaty and topless, and then she sa- she says, "Shit, we're going outside. You'll freeze to death." Where's you? He goes, "Oh, there's my sneaking snoot bur- sneaking suit bur- buried under a pile of rubble." And then he puts it on, and she gets all like she gets all hot for him because he's put his clothes on. <laughs> She's like, "Hey, looking pretty good, snake." It's like, "Well, I just had my muscles out." Confused me anyway. Uh, so yeah, the 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 on rails um, jeep escape um, quite startling for the time. I remember when. Um, when the game came out and, and, and a lot of people were saying oh it's a real, it's a real shame because uh, it's a two disc game so everyone assumed uh, incorrectly that the game would be just as long after you swap discs as it is before mm-hmm. but of course it doesn't work like that because it's got more data because it's got most of, most of, if not all the rest of the base that you can go back to on the second disc plus all these ridiculously long cutscenes yeah a lot of video um, and, yeah, yeah and, and the jeep escape uh, which uh, was yeah I remember it being relatively cool for the time but uh, I don't think it stands up particularly well as a as a piece of gameplay it's one of the one of the bits where uh, you kind of I don't know just think that um, maybe something more fitting with the rest of the game would have been a better decision I don't know what do you fellas think it's very Hollywood and yeah I quite I quite liked it I think um it, it's just the they need to escape because of everything that's been set up, and this is how they do it. I, th- I thought it was um, as as Hollywood and silly as it is. It was quite cool turning around and seeing uh, Liquid driving out of the darkness behind you at you, and that was <laughs> a fairly tense chase at that point. Because up till then, it's just more genome soldiers and a couple of checkpoints, and at that point, you really think ah, it's not all over, you know. So it's uh, no. We'll talk about stupid plot mechanics as well. They're, they're hoping to escape a nuclear blast via a jet ski. Well, essentially a snowmobile. I don't think that would have worked out too well in real life. <laughs> no, again, it's a traditional... Uh, it's a, it's an action movie trope, isn't it? Of you know, getting away from a ridiculously vast explosion in a ridiculously small, fragile vehicle uh, while the bad guy chases you. Anything to be said about the uh, closing scenes then before the before the tune kicks in? Uh, yeah, just one thing. S- Snake has a conversation with Colonel Campbell and it turns out that he's got control of the mission. He's told the president it's all sort of being cleared up. And Snake specifically says, oh, Otacon's still in the in the base, make sure he gets out safely, but doesn't go back for him now that he knows that the bomb's not going to detonate and it just seems odd <laughs> that he would just walk away and leave Otacon, who is yeah. sacrificing himself and presumably still doesn't know that the bomb isn't going to go off. Seemed seemed a bit odd, but... So the bad ending, the non-canon ending, you end up with him anyway, don't you? Well, yes, yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. And it makes a That's... difference to the item that you get um, given to you at the end of game. Infinite yeah. ammo, bandana, or... Bandana for the good ending, and then the invisibility cloak for the bad ending, essentially bad ending, which confused me. 
because yeah. the invisibility cloak surely is a lot cooler than infinite ammo that technically if you're good enough to get through the game yeah I mean if you couldn't survive the torture scene you probably need that camel suit <laughs> to make it through the game yeah. and if you play through it again you get the tuxedo the bond style All right. suit mm-hmm. I believe um, so and as as with the previous games the uh, the game gives you a rating uh, based on your performance throughout the game now this is quite complex based on a whole number of factors the number of times you were spotted the number of times you were killed uh, the number of people you killed time people yeah, yeah. Um, number of saves number of rations that's right so how many there's how many different animals can Four, you be 48 uh, all of them ratings. are animals apart from the very top ranking you can get big boss big boss on European extreme difficulty or just extreme difficulty outside of Europe uh, if you it's, the quote is uh, you complete the game perfectly found no le- found less than five times killed 25 enemies or less used one or no rations had no continues and completed the game in three hours or less on extreme difficulty <laughs> well have fun with that yeah good luck with that cake walk eh? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll be happy with my um, sewer rat rating or whatever I'll get <laughs> I can't remember what I got. Mongoose or something. Uh, Mongoose is rank is the third from bottom rank of all. (laughs) It's rank ten in the easy ranks. Uh, uh, I completely didn't got mongoose and then went back and redid a section at the end and got puma, which is rank eight on the easy ones. Pumas are cool. Yep, pumas are cool. Chicken is above puma apparently. As is koala. (laughs) Random. Uh, Very bottom rank is flying squirrel. This was uh, this was very much the trending games at the time. Uh, Resident Evil would, uh, and, and I guess Resident Evil still does do this, uh, you know, based on number of saves and health used and blah blah blah, time completed. Um, I always used to find it very stressful because I knew, you know, knowing the way I play, which is not particularly fast, and uh, you know, I tend to save a lot, you and s- store up food and um, and occasionally die, you know, not being a super player. Um, I found find the idea that I'm constantly being graded a little bit hara- harassing. Um, have they have they kept this going throughout later Metal Gears? Uh, yeah, certainly in four. Yeah, yeah. Because so. in, in four, I uh, made it through without killing anyone except for one guy that was lying down with his back to me, and I just wanted to see what would happen if I popped his head, <laughs> which was a bit silly and. In retrospect, because I got to the end and realised that I would have got a much better ranking, but uh, oh, wow, but yeah, 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 they certainly keep it going. It's in dedication. The others, I think. Um, well, let's uh, let's go around and just before we sum up with a few more of these uh, listener uh, contributions from the forum. Magic Joe F says one of my all-time favourites. I love how well it used mechanics such as the radar and the corner cameras to make you feel in control of your stealth. So many times in a stealth game I felt cheated that the AI shouldn't have seen or heard me, but with Metal Gear Solid they accepted there has to be some compromise to make the situation fun. Personally, it didn't make it any less tense as the focus shifted to the timing and execution of getting through a room. Plus, once you get familiar with the game, you can always go in without the radar and use FPS mode for a different challenge. At the time it came out, this echoes back to the uh, comments about... um, What's it called? Siphon Filter. Siphon Filter, yes. Uh, At the time it came out, I was playing a lot of Rainbow Six Rogue Spear on PC. As a friend described Metal Gear Solid, I laughed it off thinking, well, that doesn't sound realistic. (laughs) Guess which game I still take time to replay. Roy 40... Sorry, I was just going to say, that's exactly what we were saying. You know, you shrug it off and think... 
breaking the fourth wall, the silly character, or not silly characters, but the uh, out-of-this-world characters don't sound realistic, but mm, it's not mm. necessarily realism that makes a game enjoyable or uh, resonant, I guess. Absolutely. Roy42 says, The game is nothing if not ambitious to the nth degree. Something like Psychomantis boss fight I wouldn't expect to see in a modern game if it wasn't designed by Molodew. The cutscenes and characterization, even by today's standards, are so in-depth it's frankly crazy. It's incredibly cinematic and I mean all of the good things and bad things that are associated with that term. My only issue with it is the part where the game plays badly. Uh, sorry, the part where it's a game plays badly. The fact that I can run right behind guards without being spotted or even alerting them to my presence whatsoever when I've been told that they are supposedly genetically built with superior senses breaks the experience for me. When I accidentally stepped in a puddle and alerted a nearby guard in the first area, I thought it was awesome and way beyond whatever I expected for the time. When I got to the first area's building, I suddenly found myself let down when I could just run across the floor consequence-free. The fact that the game doesn't necessarily play all that well isn't something I'm going to forget. It always persists like a dull ache, reminding me that it might have just been better as a movie, or more appropriately, a TV show. You'd lose moments like the Psycho Mantis fight, but you'd also lose a lot of the bad things about it. I don't really think parts where you're not playing the game are that bad at any point, save for points where the, uh, the cutscenes should have ended, but for some reason just keep on going. The most noteworthy case so far being when Otacon says, Call me Otacon, it's short for otaku convention, and then proceeds to explain what an otaku is, when there's absolutely no need beyond extending the cutscene even further. Okay, so the writing's got some issues as well, but in a way it all comes together to form this crazy experience that I have no problem in calling an experience. It's no traditional game, that's for sure, and it's weirdly compelling in a way that I haven't found many other big-budget games I've played in the last few years to be. I'll keep playing through to the end, and I'm probably going to enjoy it in all its crazy stupidity, and let's be honest, it is pretty stupid when you look at it. Anyone care to respond to some of Roy's more negative comments? Not really, no. (laughs) Disagree. I entirely disagree. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. I agree with maybe uh, the the basis of some of the criticism, but the conclusions he draws, I just draw completely opposite. I think a, a lot of a lot of what I could call criticisms of the game turn out to be some of the best things about. Uh, I I also think that he's clearly playing it for the first time now, mm. and I, and I think you know it's one of those considerations if you if you think about where this game was fourteen years ago, um, a lot of those game mechanics have never been done before let alone perfected in, in what we see now so what may seem slightly archaic in, in what it achieves back then was actually revolutionary so yeah um, yeah but uh, you yeah, know uh, yeah sure if you look at it now there is one or two issues I think you can really criticise I think the fact hey. that as we'll discover with uh, from everything I understand about 4 though I've not played it is that they're obviously have been concessions to both western and modern and modern western gameplay in more recent games as you'd perhaps expect uh, and some of the there are some elements about Metal Gear which I, I think are pretty clunky now uh, as Roy says in terms of actually playing the game I don't think it's necessarily the best but as as an experience and like you know we've been talking about it for two hours and recalling all those fantastic moments I think uh, it, it does uh, transcend the, the shortcomings and finally for these Delby 2K says I love the twists and turns the story took yes the writing was maybe not AAA but it was delivered with such authority that you let it go in truth the main reason people kept playing was to find out what happened next what the next part of the tale was and what the relationship between the characters what was the relationship between the characters no game has at the same time made me feel incredibly dangerous but also vulnerable 
Metal Gear is still my favourite series, my second favourite series, sorry, Del, uh, which is all down to this PS1 title. The, that universe is one I bought into almost instantly, and the sneaking storytelling and intrigue made me want to learn more as soon as possible. It's odd, as a book, it would have been thrown out as lower-level trash. As a game, it can be argued it spends more time telling than playing, but as a whole, it's magnificent. Yeah, I mean, that's... Been leveled at nailed games it. forever. He's isn't absolutely it? Yeah. nailed it there, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, that's, a, that's good. Yeah. yeah, but but that's exactly it. It's it's not a book, and I'd argue if you can take the story of a game and the experience of a game and write it in a book, it kind of should have been a book. The thing about this is it's a game, and it lets you know it's a game, and the, no other medium. You know, as as Roy was saying, if if you took this and made it into a movie, yes, you would lose the Psychomantis fight. It shouldn't be a movie then. It needs to be a game because you can't mm-hmm. get this experience without it being a game, and yeah. you don't. Well, they get looked, the story they tried, didn't they? There, there was production of a movie yeah. for a long time, which mm. never, you know, saw the light of day. Thankfully, I think we pretty much know how that would have turned out. <laughs> uh, so, two uh, three-word reviews via Twitter: Frozen Treasure, blah blah kaboom, Luke's hand, overstretched ending, oh. Rock Stepper, Michael fucking Bay. Rich Hoyle, 24, torture scene, painful. What was the the Michael fucking Bay one? Because somebody else, uh, Ryan Astley, also said that he was going to say that. And is it actually a reference to something, or is it just a reference that Michael Bay was going to make the movie? I thought it was just a reference to the fact that it was a, it was a, a you know, a cinematic, over-the-top over action, yeah. action game in the way that Michael Bay makes movies like that. I would rather play Metal Gear Solid than watch a Michael Bay movie <laughs> yeah. any day. Uh, Dastardly Jabby, landmark in gaming. Bador SNK, hurt me more. I should, although it should be hurt me more. <laughs> it should. And uh, oh, who wants who wants this one? The inevitable. I think we should all do it. We had a few of these, didn't we? I'll do it in Mei Ling's voice. <laughs> uh, Kid Dog came in with uh, with. Uh, I, I was expecting loads of these, but it's a snake. Snake, snake. Uh, yeah, I heard that a few times. Yes, yeah, it's surprisingly <laughs> easy to do. So I suppose uh, to really properly, truly conclude, uh, we should do our usual thing of going round, even at this late stage, and uh, saying yay or nay to Metal Gear Solid PS One version or original Metal Gear Solid or Twin Snakes, whichever. What do you think? Uh, let's start with our special guest, Ready Ups, Paul Rooney. I would say this game is an example of a, the type of game that you don't that I don't seem to get anymore. It gave me a feeling replaying it recently gave me a feeling of immersion. It completely pulled me into its world, and like I said, I've, I've not I can't remember the last time I, I'd, I'd felt that way. Maybe even Dark Souls or something that I really loved, but this it seemed to do it more because I. Do you know that way when you used to play games when you were younger and you just couldn't, every waking moment you were thinking about it, you wanted to get back to it. Mm. You know, you were thinking of different ways you could do this and you're, you're wondering what's going to happen. And every even when you're making food or making something, every conscious moment you're thinking about the game, <laughs> you're somehow involved with it. Well, I mm. got very much like that. And it, it is very rare for, for that to happen. But that happened to me with, with Metal Gear recently. And therefore leads me to believe that even today I know some people were, were talking about how it doesn't play incredibly well but I disagree, I think with a bit of adaptability and a bit of uh, 
common sense basically you you can negotiate those hurdles of the old hardware you know the the lego brick snow and stuff like that you know you can you can get round that and to see what is essentially one of the most important original unique and inspired games ever made and i think you would you owe it to yourself to play it basically james carter of Kane and rinse yeah it's it's a no brainer um one way or another, everyone should play this game. It's an absolute travesty that I've left it this long in my life to play this game. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, whether it's Twin Snakes, whether it's on PC, whether it's on PS1 or PS3 via, via the PSN. Or PSP. Or, or PSP. Just find a way to play this game. Um, work through any difficulties you might have with controls and the way it looks because, you know the story it's telling and the way it's telling it is something I've never seen in the game before um, just it's fantastic and uh, it it's understandably I think I, there are reasons it's not included in the HD collection um, but before you sit down and play the HD collection absolutely go and play this first Tony Atkins um, I was trepidatious coming to play this game because as I said it was one of my all time favourites and that always worries me and, and I think on, on this show we've covered some pretty uh, landmark titles something like Shadows of the Colossus um, and I, I think it's easy to kind of get caught up in the moment and say you know these are genre defying um, I think probably Metal Gear Solid so far has been the one that I've I've really think did change the industry uh, a significant amount and I, I've got issues with many of the, the later um games in the franchise um, but I think this one is the most restrained and, and it's better for that, I think the story is somewhat coherent, I think the characters are actually interesting, the, the dialogue's interesting I, I found myself listening to the Codex which is something that became later you know, less concerned about as the series go, uh, went on because the cutscenes went from being 20 minutes long to you know 90 minutes long and, and that's not a joke um this, I think this is one of the greatest games of all time. Um, it happens to be on many people's lists, and, and there's a reason for that. Uh, and I think if you have any interest in, in the way games progressed, certainly from the 16-bit era into the 32-bit era, I think you owe it to yourself to actually give this a go. Uh, it pulls the trick of which not many games do now, which is, like, like the previous comments said, it pulls the trick of, of feeling vulnerable, but at the same time feeling hugely in control of your environment. And after I finished the game I, I posted on Twitter and, and this is something that Paul and me were talking about which is what the hell have we been doing for 14 years I, I feel like this game's had a few tricks up its sleeve which still haven't been replicated now and I, I think the immersion of the environment and your character although it's completely ridiculous on occasion with the story I feel like they, they combine the cinematics with the gameplay in a way that many other games haven't really touched upon even now, 14 years down the line. And it's it's a momentous game and should be played by pretty much everyone. Although, you know, whether it you can get past the stealth element, I know some people, it, it just wouldn't be their thing. In fact, that the siphon filter comment that we joked about, like there'd, there'd probably be a number of people that still would prefer to go back and just have a complete action-type game. But I think this is a landmark and important title. And... It's made me really want to. I, I, I'm a two. I'm not a great fan of some trepidation of that. But the fact that it has a link back with free and the big big boss stuff um, has really made me eager to get to free now and, and experience that and, and to see where kind of the origin roots come from. But yeah, fantastic. 
Well, I think it's interesting you're talking about you know, things that the industry hasn't come along very, very much in 14 years or whatever in certain ways. But this game is in so many ways a remake of a game that's much older than that. True. It's very, you know, it's if this had been released as not Metal Gear Solid, as in Metal Gear 3, but as Metal Gear 2 3D edition or something, uh, then... I don't think people would have been that surprised. It w- it really does retread a lot of the ground. It does use some of the you know some of the new um, then new innovations, the memory card stuff, the controller stuff, and all that. But really, um, it's even more remarkable that these ideas still feel quite fresh in 2012, when in fact they they go back to the 1980s. Uh, I do have a few problems with. The gameplay, the graphics, the voice acting, the script. <laughs> I don't think it's all absolutely world-class and magnificent in, in every area. But there's so many cool things in this game. So many cool ideas, even though they have been redone, recycled by Kojima. Um, there's a lot of charm and there's a high high likability factor. Um, as we said, the atmosphere is fantastic. The music is tremendous. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it is a landmark game. Um, I don't I don't think it holds up as well as some games that are older than it, um, even. But I still think it's uh, yeah, it stands out as being pretty damn excellent in in many ways. It, I think the thing that that caught me off guard, which I really wasn't expecting, it it held up in the way that it it showed me what the future of games were going to be. And uh, yeah, if you've been following games as long as you know, we have then you see that in certain titles like when Mario 64 hit the scene like you, you saw the way that platformers were going to be I mean this this pretty much it, it was, didn't invent the stealth genre you know by, it didn't invent the stealth genre but um, I, I think it took it in that direction where wow this is now something that we can actually play with within this and it didn't invent the cinema cinematography or the cinematic um, elements of games but I think it was the game that pushed that forward into the limelight it, it's got trademarks it's like Halo's Regeneration Shield. It's one of those games mm. where you can, you know, you can trace back games to its legacy. Um, and I, I agree with you. I, I think, yeah, there is elements of it that don't quite hold up 14 years down the line. But good God, there's not many games which do. And I think this one has its fair share of stuff that still does, which surprises me more than pretty much anything. Uh, don't forget to check out the Cane and Rinse periodical issue one still about there uh, for iPad and there's a PDF version you can get that via caneandrinse.com issue two is still on the way as far as I know I hope forthcoming show topics will include Prince of Persia the 2008 uh, edition that will be next week Eternal Darkness uh, followed by Flower well followed by Flow Flower and Journey Bulletstorm and Vessel and Deerisha so we have a whole packed shows coming up in the near future that was uh, Dear Esther and um, in Vessel in the one show and uh, of course Metal Gear Solid 2 so we're going to get that one played in advance uh, see if we can get that show in under three hours <laughs> our blog is at canerids.com as I say and we are part of the Character Select Network you can join in the discussion hopefully there'll be some discussion following this podcast at uh, characterselect.net slash forum follow us on Twitter at canerids and you can email us at canerids at gmail.com you can like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Rinse. And as we always say, your iTunes subscriptions, reviews and ratings are all very welcome. 
It really does just remain for me, Leon Cox, to thank very much Ready Ups, Paul Rooney, Kane and Rinses, James Carter, and everybody's Tony Atkins. Uh, and I guess we should leave you now with uh, that song, The Best Is Yet To Come. Goodbye. Twice as long as, as the plan, but never mind. Uh, the and, run. and not only, but also how how long compared to the length of the game is this? I think that's testament to how much we've got to say about it. That about a quarter of <laughs> the time we spent playing the game, we've just spent talking about it, and we yeah. could go on for a good deal longer. I'm sure. Yeah. How yeah. fitting that we've been talking for so long, you know, overly long dialogue and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhat in keeping. Imagine we tickled but, the bones of your inner ear to uh, start <laughs> this podcast. Well, we always say that Kojima needs an editor, so now we're relying on Sean to be that person for us. That's a very good point. <laughs>